Hey, everybody, it's Ben Kwam, co-host of hopefully your favorite podcast, Libations for Everyone. Today's episode is sponsored by Foundry Nation. Foundry Nation loves THC. Born in Minnesota, they partner with farms throughout the Midwest to supply high-quality seed-to-table THC products. Uh, I've tried their sodas such as Orange Tangy, Strawberry Fields, and Granddaddy Purple. They're incredible. I love them. They're fantastic. Great CBD treats for dogs. They have all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. As our partner, they're offering all of our listeners an exclusive 20% off with the code LIBATIONS20, capital L-I-B-A-T-I-O-N-S-2-0. The future is dope. Thank you so much. Now, let's get on with the show. I got some Gamla Odil Aquavit. I got that Buffalo Trace that I didn't have to overpay for. Yeah, yeah. About that life. It really Wait, is like I. Did you just get this bottle? No. Oh, I was gonna say, would you were, sl- were you slugging that in the car? Because it's half. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had uh, two straws, yeah. both for me. Mm-hmm. No, I uh, I picked those up this fall. Um, my cabin is in uh, central northern Minnesota. And there are a few liquor stores that actually have really awesome buyers and forward-thinking uh, uh, patrons, and they focus on some really cool quality. And every now and then I'll stop in. And what I love is that both places are ethical about how they charge things. And I know that right. they both know that they could get hundreds of dollars, but when they get those bottles and they only pay X amount, they put them on the shelf as is. And if you're there, awesome. If you're not, too bad. And I really, I really enjoy that, and sure. it makes me want to patronize those liquor stores more. Absolutely. Because I would say 80 to 90% of the liquor stores across the country would not be so ethical. Yeah, it's definitely something that I consider frequently on a marketing purview regarding, like, risking disenfranchising people by essentially stating, like, hey, you got to pay to play. you got to be this level of income to have this particular bottle for like a one-time lump sum of, you know, an additional, say, $250 profit yep. for like a Buffalo Trace antique collection bottle or something like that. Is that really worth it for every guest that sees it and knows that they can't have it? Or could you just fucking sell the bottle and then make your volume on all the other thousands of products that you have available? Well, and that's the thing. Like, we've, we've talked about this before. I, I am a, I, I don't keep anything in a box. I don't, I, I play with my toys. I wear my shoes. I listen to my vinyl. I drink my booze. I did not expect that to rhyme, but that actually works out. Mm. That's uh, hot bars dropping on the... Quam is a bougie bitch. Quam is a bougie bitch (laughs) mixtape coming. Uh, Wait. That's right, everybody. Applaud for that. Um, (laughs) So I just... just, You just liked your own pose. Yeah, goddamn right. (laughs) You should. Celebrate everything. Celebrate when you're witty. I do. I I really do, though. And, And honestly... Uh, I think Dill Akavit falls into that same category where I think it's spectacular at the price that it's at. If somebody told me that I had to pay $80, I'm not going to buy that and I'm not going to buy Buffalo Trace. There's nothing inherently that good about it that it needs to withstand triple the price. But yeah, true at the price that it is, it's absolutely a staple in, in my world. Sure, sure. Yeah. I, uh, matter of fact, I have 
made a cocktail with dill akavit and had a buffalo trace on the rocks on the side. Mm. And I felt very nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are there are occasions, rare as they may be, where I consume something and I say, like, if I had to, I would pay more for this. You know? Like the Perry and Phil's Moutard. I had some at um, at uh, Mara last weekend before we headed upstairs to the chalets for their uh, little winter experience that they're doing there. We're sitting at the bar, um, and I, my wife and I each had a glass of it, and I was just like, dude, non-vintage. It's got that beautiful oxidative, ox- oxidative characteristic and the, you know, like you call it prune, you call it fig. Uh, the gentleman who was our bartender, his name is Phoenix. Phoenix said, is the shit. Said bruised apple, and I was like, I'm keeping that one. That's a great characterization <gasps> of this. Uh, but I was like, dude, you know, this is like a $53 bottle, but it has the characteristic that I look for in something that is well-aged. So in my head, I was like, I'd pay more for this. I'd, I would, I'd pay more than $53 for yeah. this bottle. Because yeah, you're not it, wrong. It's got those qualities, and it's hard to come by in a non-vintage bottle. But, uh, you know, that's one of those rare instances. But in a lot of instances, sure, you're like, oh, great. The cost of Pachuga is going up because people are sweeping the shelves for the most part. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. the the really rare um, specimens in that category. You're like, great, I got to pay more. Cool, Granted, cool, that's cool. an area where I'm like, all right, if I see it, I'll pay extra because it's hard to come by. But there are instances, sure, like if someone told you in 10 years, Dilacquavia is going to be so difficult to come by for whatever reason, mm-hmm. uh, and you got to pay an extra $50 for it, you'd be like, fuck you. <laughs> Why? Yeah. I, I just, I, I am a, I will buy within reason. You know, I, I love sneakers, but I'm not going to overpay. I'll pay a little bit more, but I'm just not going to overpay. I, I do it with concert tickets. I, I just set a limit, and if, if it's under that, cool. If not, I've seen plenty of shit. I've drank plenty of shit. I've eaten plenty of shit. Like, we're good. Bro. We're good. Concert Concerts now are, like, all over the place, firstly, in regard to the value proposition. But a concert I saw today that popped up in my email box every ticket in this joint and it's a big facility and I'm not going to call out the exact concert and everything, but every ticket in the place was $145 or more mm-hmm. plus the ticket master bullshit. Mm-hmm. So minimum 200 bucks to get into this venue that houses a significant number of human beings for this, for this particular show. And I'm like, man, if you gave me, and we talk about this too. I wish that Bigger bands would play more intimate venues and then charge a lot of money. Yeah. Because then you're actually, like, if, if, if someone has their hard-earned money and they say, man, I really would love to see this band in this small of a venue where this is impractical for them in most cases, but they're charging a premium so that we can have this form of intimacy. That I understand. Absolutely. When you're in a gigantic venue. Fuck and it's off. a minimum of $200 for mm-hmm. anyone to attend. You can't take your kid. Mm-mm. Your kid's not going to understand that you just pay $200 for 60 minutes of enjoyment if they, like, you know, skid their knee on the floor or, you know, have to go to the bathroom or something. Then, you know, the clock's sick and I just lost 30 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, totally. I don't, I don't fully understand it. Uh, and it's, I think it's problematic, quite frankly. Absolutely it is. <clears throat> it, it creates a gentrification into who has access to art. Mm-hmm. And I hate that. I, I, I don't I don't like that. I want obviously the artists to get paid. I love that aspect of it. But 
at a certain point, Ticketmaster is making more profit than the artist is on the show. Yeah, and this band's got plenty of money where they yeah, don't need to also be charging. Also true. I, I, I do know. believe I know who you're talking about. You probably, and, if, and you probably got the same email today. Correct. But, like, I, I, the only reason I'm not calling it out is because I don't want to, like, shame the venue. Um, the artists, I don't care. I'm probably never going to actually meet these people. But And I've seen them many times and seen them many times with Marnie. But it's just a matter of, like, I don't know who's setting that price, yeah. but... Yeah, damn. It makes me not want to be indoors in June. Correct. Because it's in June, and I'm like, I'm paying you to not be outside in June. I don't know if I want to pay double yep. for you to force me to be indoors when we get our few warm months here in the Twin Cities. Uh, <laughs> Charles, I do want to dial it back, because uh, for our listeners out there, you are, in fact, the guest tonight. Uh, this is a catch-up show for, for Charles and I. And uh, you, sir, are the guest tonight. Ooh, yes. What? Ooh. Oh. Huh? Um, I do want to dial it back, though, because you uh, had an experience at uh, Mara at the Four Seasons in Minneapolis. They uh, they have a fourth floor pool deck yeah. that has a fully functional bar, and they have put chalets up there. Yeah. Uh, and I... Uh, I told I was, my in-laws my legal name is Chalets Awad. Ooh, absolutely. <laughs> That's way better than Chaz. That's good, though. Chalets Awad. Chalets Awad. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate enough as they were getting those built uh, to... Hey, hit me with that applause button, baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let it go a little longer. <laughs> um, but I got to I got to talk to them and, and consult a little bit as they were getting it going because they were looking at uh, not this year, but going into next year, uh-huh. allowing companies to come in and brand each one of those chalets oh, interesting. As, okay. as a unique property. And I just wanted to know, I haven't dined in one yet. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to ask your thoughts on it. For those of you that don't live in cold climates, uh, it's basically small four to six people uh, warming houses where they do a full dinner and cocktail service. Blankets, pillows. Blankets and pillows while being... Dedicated heaters on each wall. Outside on that, uh, on that rooftop deck. Yeah, there's music playing in there. Uh, these beautiful twinkle lights. You can change the modes on it just like you would in your dorm room when you were a kid. I still miss that shit, man. When they brought in the s'mores and they brought in the little burner, uh, the waiter came in and he said, should I want me to put that out for you? And I was like, actually, this is really nice. He said, you know, you can press the button right behind you and you could turn off the lights in here. And I was like, don't mind if I Let's do. go. And it was super dope. We had a little bonfire inside to kind of warm us up and we were drinking our, uh, we had like a sweet vermouth mulled wine and beautiful the s'mores and the other little treats that they, they had on hand. And it was just like super nice and cozy and just a perfect little evening on a Hell cold yeah. winter night. But they're they're very nice. Cool. They're really nice. And you feel super secluded. They have windows only on one side. Yep. So you, when you face out, you only see the back side of the chalet next to you. So it's almost as though no one else is up there. So you're renting this cabin for three hours that is fit for two to four people. It's just private dining, but without like an extreme premium. They have one bigger one that can seat eight. Do they? I yeah. didn't even notice that. It's all the way at the very end. There's one last one. I hadn't even that's noticed. A little bit larger. It, yeah, it it's was, pretty cool. It was not a script then because that's kind of where the little bonfire was that you could hang out around afterward. Uh, but, you know, if you're just looking to dine with your honey and you want to get just one of those chalets, which Marnie did for me because Marnie got that for us, uh, it's 
a pretty accessible thing for something so like private feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, the server comes in and is taking care of you expressly, all of your needs. Little cocktail menu, food was a lot of fun. Uh, fondue, check this out. Fun fact: first time I've ever done fondue. Really? I have just never had a desire to do it. Oh, it's man. not something that appeals to me. And you know Mara's using some crazy cheese. Right. Like they had the cheese in there was so good. See, I could understand how you wouldn't be into the oil portion of the fondue, but it's really hard for me to not think that at some point, even given your proclivity, proclivity for like raclette, that you wouldn't yeah. have done a cheese or a chocolate fondue at, at some point. No, I've just, I don't know. It's, it's, one of those elusive things because things fall through the cracks. We haven't all done everything, right? I'm sure that we have blind spots, like things that you haven't, I'm sure there's something you haven't done where you're like, oh man, that's weird that I've never done this. But Marnie said, I've never done fondue at a restaurant. And then it was like suddenly a light bulb appeared over my head. And I was like, oh shit, now that I think about it, I have never done any fondue anywhere. That's I've I, done like hot pot and stuff. I've done things that I consider to be cooler even to this day. But that was fun because thematically, the little chalet, mm-hmm. doing that, doing the s'mores, um, the French onion soup, the charcuterie board, it all kind of felt like cozy. Like what you would want in a cabin. Yeah, it was like a cozy, comfortable yeah. little getaway. Hit the tour for all my Norwegian folks out there. I Yeah, the only thing that came to my mind when you said that is that to this day, I've still never had a quarter pound of a cheese. I've never had a Whopper, and I've never had a Wendy's cheeseburger. Oh, really? Wow. Okay. Wait, do you... Okay, do you eat fast food at all? Like, not really. Taco Bell, maybe? Like, Taco like, Bell is my hangover cure. It's almost Absolutely. everyone's outlier. I know a lot of people yep. who only do Taco Bell, but do you still ever do any I'm, others? I'm good with, like, probably two to three Arby's runs in a year. Okay. Uh, I, have, I have an undying love for chicken rings at White Castle, but that's once a year, maybe. Sure. I really, I don't, I, I don't, like... I like chicken nuggets, but I I would prefer to just like bake some at home, than go to that rather than go to McDonald's. I yeah, like Taco Bell would probably be my most frequent, and that's maybe six times a year. At some point, we should maybe because I haven't had any what you would consider to be traditional fast food in probably almost twenty years now. Sure, it would be interesting to taste it. I know I would hate it just because when you're that far removed from it. I know that also sounds like hashtag bougie bitch Charles, but fine dino man. I, uh, I had a friend, this was a while ago now, probably like seven or eight years ago. Buddy of mine who's my neighbor. We're going to a bar. He's like, I'm starving. I haven't had anything to eat. Just pull over here at this McDonald's. And he got in the car with the bag of McDonald's and started unfurling one of those little wax papers. And the smell of it just, it like hit me and, made me instantly lose my appetite for anything, including sure. the beers we were about to consume. It's not, it's not a good smell, when you, especially if you eat it in a car and then you get out of the car and you get back into the car. That mm-hmm. is a, a horror. You know what you did. Yeah, it bugged me. I think yeah. that I could still, the, the fries, I bet I would still really enjoy. Uh, I probably would enjoy the breakfast sandwich. It's probably the last thing I ever had Honestly, at a McDonald's, like, I don't know, as 17 you, years ago. As you said that, that just popped into my head. That, that would be, technically, that's what I have the most is if I'm really in a pinch and I had an early meeting and I just need something quick, honestly, I'll, I'll just grab a sausage, sausage McMuffin with egg is yeah. my go-to. Okay. And then yeah, that was the thing that I, that was the thing I like the most. 
So what that is and what it purports to be is closer to, Correct. you know, air quotes, genuine article of, of that type of food than when, a, when that burger says that it's a burger to me, that's the furthest thing from a burger now. That's just not a burger to me anymore. And just to clarify, uh, I, I haven't had those sandwiches because I didn't like hamburgers when I was a kid. And that was when fast food was like the key to everything. Uh, I pretty much only ate chicken-related things when I was younger. And then the first burger that I ever had was a half-pound burger at, uh, at Clint Eastwood's restaurant in Carmel, California. Oh, and what? I didn't it know that was a thing. Was like life. He was the mayor there. Is for it a called while. Get Off My Porch? <laughs> Vaguely racist burger. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was. I. I. The, the menu d- just didn't have like a chicken sandwich, and I. I was desperate to not be a weirdo, so I ordered <laughs> the burger, and it was delicious. But that was the first burger I ever had. And then you like go to your friend's house, and they get. Wait, so you didn't like burgers or you just didn't have them? It sounds like you just didn't have burgers. I don't remember ever having one and hating it, but I mm-hmm. I, I just didn't. You weren't them. like, let me get a burger. Right. Par- partly, probably because you had not been eating burgers. Yeah, like my mom never made them mm-hmm. at home. Um, and then from that point on, I would watch my friends get fast food burgers. And I'm like, that's not a fucking burger. Like, this is what I had and that's what you have. These, we are not the same. I would say McDonald's, least of all, to me, resembles what an actual hamburger is supposed yeah. to be or a cheeseburger. And, like, fuck off with a Big Mac. Like, we just put more bread and sauce on it. Get out of here. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, I understand, like, the flavors, and they've been replicated across versions of something like that that are much better. For instance, we're mere blocks away from Little Tijuana, and they make a chopped cheese that has, like, special sauce and lettuce and tomato. I don't like rabbit food on my burgers, but in the chopped cheese, it's somehow bridging this weird gap between like eight different foods. And I really enjoy it because it's to me, it's not a burger. It's something else. Mm. But if I had to go back now, if someone was like, you got to get a fast food burger. I would probably get a Wendy's burger. That seems to be and I'm my, talking about like the big national chains yeah. that were around when I was a kid. Cause I haven't had any of the new ones. Um, not everyone has Culver's obviously, but if you're talking about like McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, for instance. Wendy's, number one. Number two, I'd probably get a Whopper. And then distant number three, anything from McDonald's. I don't want any of that shit. None of it. Give me the fries. Yeah. Give me the Wendy's burger and then the, um, probably the fries from McDonald's. Yeah. But this is all from memory. Yeah. I don't know if any of this stuff has changed. I I, I mean, the fries are still bomb at McDonald's. I'll agree with you there. Outside of a McRib, I don't really want anything from from McDonald's. Every now and then, my wife and I will split some nuggets. But yeah, I, I the, I've the my friends have like told me that sandwich. Wendy's is the best. That what? For, that Wendy's, Wendy's is the best burger. I just have. yeah, I have good memories of their burgers in a way that I don't of a lot of the other stuff. Hot take though, I will I would prefer McDonald's fries, but I will take Wendy's fries with a frosty over just McDonald's fries. Okay. Yeah, I don't really remember Wendy's fries, but people talk about them like they're great, so I don't I don't remember. Like I straight up don't even remember. Well, but I do remember to- having burger eating contests with Wendy's, like with oh, friends, which I always won because I was like competitive eating just with my friend groups. Not surprised. But uh yeah, so I'd crush a bunch of their burgers, but I don't remember what the chili tastes like, what the fries taste like, anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Probably we're we're both probably better off for that. I think, uh, oh, the other one, I guess, would be maybe, like, Hardee's or something, yeah, which is, I Hardee's is what's, what's the other name for Hardee's? 
Jax? Something? No, no, no. no. Um, it's got the star logo to it. Uh, Shit. I could picture it. Because yeah. that's what it's called here now, too. Yeah. Because it's somehow... Anyways, we don't have to keep talking about this shit. Let's, uh... What Should do you say? whiskey and get into this? Let's dig in. Let's go. Let's dig in. So you got, got the Dilakavit. I got the Buffalo Trace. Yeah, you got... Long distance. Cheers. Oh, well, I've already drank my whole glass of Vite and a <laughs> whole lager. Um, so I'm going to pour some more. As you do. Oh, that's some good ASMR. Ooh. Pop it. Love that. Pop it. I don't even know who's first, but we're about to find out. I believe you are. Well, cheers. Amigo. Let's go. Our first uh, duo app in quite some time. Also, and the also, first one that we've done just us at Club Caraway. Is it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was the last one in my garage? Yep. Okay. Wow. Go figure. Fucking hanging, hanging in the classic confines. Yeah, this is nice. It's comfy. We can kind of move at our own pace, you know, set up less equipment. Don't have to read the rules. Don't have a random person walking <laughs> out of uh, the Northeast Palace yelling, you want some of this work? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's just uh, part of the reason we're doing this is because, ironically, we have a wild schedule coming up. We I don't are, feel like it's ironic. I think it's just we have a fucking awesome schedule. We're booked. Yeah, we're booked super. Well, no, the, the, well, the irony is that we're doing this because we don't know when we can do it again. Correct. That's yeah, you're irony. right. You're right. You're right. And we were originally intending to do this last week, but a couple things down the way. The reason that last week we were even going to do it was because we had a scheduled guest. It didn't, there was something, something happened, a personal issue. We weren't able to have that guest. Mm-hmm. So then we decided, hey, let's do an app. And then we ended up bumping it to this week, shifting some things around. But we have like two months scheduled of bangers, wild guests, like super fucking cool guests. We are unbelievably excited. Yeah. Uh, to have this lineup. And I know that um, maybe not for everyone, but I think for if you're listening to this, you're probably interested in hearing just Kwame and myself have a conversation and that's what we're going to do. And we have a lot of fun doing these too. Uh, I think we're always pretty loose, but varying levels of loose. We're never more loose when we know exactly what to expect and we know exactly what to expect when it's just an A to B conversation. We're here just kind of riffing, having fun, smoking cigars, drinking drinks. Doing what we do. Doing the things that we like to do. Wednesday nights are for the boys. Yeah. Or whatever night it is you're Whatever night it is. Or morning or whatever. <laughs> and for the girls or whoever you're with. Anyways. I want to start. Okay. So, yeah. Part of this. When we have these conversations, sometimes uh-huh. we, we get a little. Um, we look inward and we talk about. We always say, hey, the sausage is made. But we, we do talk a little more about the way we do things. I want to kind of start like an agree, disagree style of question on the podcast. So I'm 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 testing it if you can put it that way. So beta um, question. Yeah. Bomb, do you agree or disagree that money can buy you happiness? And and it's it's phrased as can buy me happiness. Yes. So I'm gonna softly agree because I think what money does is eliminate a lot of the fears, anxiety, and voices in my head that eliminate me from being able to experience happiness. So the, the happiness doesn't come directly from money, but it definitely, it quiets down a lot of the things that steal joy away from me, if that makes sense. Like, sure. I love the fact that I, I am at a place in my life where I can afford to do more of the things that I've always wanted to do. Uh, as we were talking about concerts earlier, 
this weekend, I am finally crossing off the last name on my concert bucket list. Oh, that's this coming weekend. That is this Sunday. Uh, I made a list for our listeners out there. I made a list when I was 21 years old of 50 bands that I wanted to see before I die or they die or both. And I have... I have made it to almost all of them. I missed out on uh, Tom Petty, which uh, I'm very, okay. very sad about. Okay, as you say, there's got to be like a miss or two in there, right? Yep. Like, yep, there's there's more than a few. Over 22 years. I will forever grieve that uh, Daft Punk broke up before I could see them. Ah, yeah. Uh, but Bruce Springsteen was always top on my list, and I'm finally going to do that. Five, like ten, the top or among the top? It was the top. Really? Like, as, as things got eliminated. Wow, and you you just somehow have never been able to until I, now. Yeah, I, I, uh, my relationship with Bruce Springsteen, he's one of my first musical memories. And mm-hmm. so he's one of the few artists that I've enjoyed my entire life. Uh, and there, were, there are giant chunks where I wasn't listening to Springsteen. Yeah. So most of my 20s, I, I, I don't even know if he was here. I, I missed it completely. And the last big tour that he did... I had a shot at tickets that were three fifty by themselves, plus Ticketmaster stuff on top of it. Yeah. And while I had told my wife that I would spend any amount of money to see him, I, I chickened out. I couldn't justify $800 for a concert when I needed that money for other things a whole lot more. Yeah. And I'm in a different financial situation than I was then. And on top of it, I, I got tickets for much cheaper, which is great. But I 100% can say that. Also, the urgency is greater. Yep. Yeah. yeah well, you know, every last year that time with the E Street Band, right? Like, Correct. Yep. Uh, so there's, there's some urgency last behind tour, that right? for sure. Like, like the last tour. In, in theory. I mean, you know, the Rolling Stones have been the last tour for 20 years. Yeah. But I, I feel like at some point it has to end. And I'm really excited to see that. But I also would say, <clears throat> in confirmation of my answer to this question, is that I am... I'm almost so happy about it that I don't want to talk about it because I'm afraid something might happen because I've wanted to see this concert for so long. And it's only because I'm in a situation now where financially I could make that commitment. It's like trip trip anxiety. Yep. And I, and I, and I won't feel guilty. (laughs) I didn't put them on a credit card. I paid it off right away. Like it, it, I am so happy thinking about the fact that I'm finally going to see an artist who has meant something to me for my entire life. Very cool. So in that sense, it does, but it's because it gives me the opportunity to unabashedly find happiness and joy in things. Dope. So it, it, it can't be directly correlated, but it puts me in a scenario where I can feel happiness a little bit more. Uh, how do you, uh, wh- where do you land on that? Yeah, I mean, similarly, you know, you can't buy it, but you can amplify it. You know, you can't buy, if you're unhappy, if you're unhappy, you can't buy happiness. Right. You know, it's not pay to play. You don't say, I'm unhappy, but I have some money, so I'm going to use that money to make myself happier. That's a, you know, that's a fool's errand because I think that maybe some people do operate that way. But if you're already of proper mental constitution and happiness and your things are going pretty well for you, and you also have some disposable income to do things that are happy-making activities, it can create a greater sense of joy for you having access to those resources. Um, it's also proven 
statistically, scientifically, however you would like to position that, that there is a point of diminishing returns. And I haven't seen one of these studies in a while, but the last time I saw one was like a decade ago because I was sort of balancing where I was at in regard to my income versus what the study purported. And they said that the perfect point of income to happiness ratio at the time, this is a decade ago, was 70K a year. That was, uh, it was the BBC study. <clears throat> I remember Yeah, that. I don't was, remember who administered yeah, it. It was 72 grand was yep. the exact point where anything more than that and you're worried about keeping your wealth and anything less than that and you're worried about making your ends meet. That was the, the happy medium. Yeah, so I mean, the saying is salient. The application at times can be flawed. Um, and it, yeah, of course, there's like the point of diminishing returns because, you know, more money, more problems. There, it, it's sort of like a elusive subject, but there are also recent studies that have come out that purport that the greater your wealth, the more detached you are from the common people, the people who have... An insane sum, insane sum of money don't um, really uh, associate or consider themselves appear to people that are not of commensurate wealth or like a similar stature to them. And there's a detachment and the human element being as important as it is to myself. And I know for you as well, and probably most of the people listening to this, it's so important being able to like have your funny money or your disposable income and to bring in your friends and peers to enjoy the things that money can access you big or small we're just talking about fast food i don't fucking care if you want to have a wendy's hamburger eating contest of your own that's something that like you got to pony up for you got to be like i'm gonna spend some money to do this or if it's taking a trip overseas in the summer uh those accessing those activities, and also the absence of worry. Yeah. So the capability to enjoy something without considering how responsible it is to do so. Like your Bruce Springsteen example, you could have got those tickets, but you might have not enjoyed yourself the way you'll enjoy yourself this Sunday Correct. because you would have been like almost weighing the value of everything you were experiencing versus the financial peril you were putting yourself into. You know, not necessarily peril, but was this worth it? Was it worth it to do this mm -hmm. to my bank account or to my credit card? But it being able to enjoy something like that without pulling on your collar and saying, fuck, yeah. what have I done? Uh, that also, I think, accentuates what we characterize as happiness. So money can buy the commodity of happiness, but you have to already have some in your glass to pour a little more in. You Correct. can't pour it into an empty glass. I <clears throat> Two things. One, uh, given what you just said, Charles, uh, when you're done with this podcast, if you haven't listened to it lately or you're unfamiliar with the song, please go listen to uh, Pulp's Common People, one of the 10 best songs ever written on earth. Love it very much. Deals directly with that. And also on top of that, uh, you know, it's like we, we always say, you can't love someone wholly until you love yourself. It's kind of the yeah, same thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I love that. I if, love that. That's a great correlation. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you're not if you're not open to happiness, it doesn't fucking matter how wealthy you are. Everybody knows somebody who is insanely wealthy and is absolutely miserable because 
they were hoping to literally buy that feeling and it's not going to happen. Rich, poor, anywhere in between, you can find happiness and then you can figure it out from there. That has to be where you start. And then once, once you are in a spot where you can receive joy, where you can take in happiness, then I think, then it just opens more doors for you. And that's, I think that's the, the both kind of what we both answered. Yeah. And that's also, it's, Definitely not universal because everything that we discuss is subjective. So I'm saying that's for me. And I also have to remind myself sometimes that little things that don't cost sometimes anything or don't cost a lot, like here's, you know, the, the, the pay to play is much lower, can make you incredibly happy. And I think that that's a consideration regarding like what level of requirement is necessary mm. because man, this, the coffee I had this morning from Nomad Roastery in Barcelona that I've been to with my wife, and it was this beautiful Rwandan coffee that they roasted, and then I was able to procure to my home, and the bag was, I don't know, $22 or something like that. Just the experience of drinking that made me really fucking happy, and the cup in my hand with the cost of the bag and everything, that cup cost me a buck, maybe. Yep. Maybe. Probably like 80 cents. That cup cost me 80 cents. And I was able to just kind of like close my eyes and take a sip and take in everything that I was tasting, like the strawberry and plum and honey. Just be like, man, God, good coffee makes me so happy. And yeah. this is one of the best cups of coffee I've had in the last year. And that cost me, you know, 80 cents. So it's it's important to state that you don't need more to be more happy. There are little things that can make us happy as well. But then if you have access to a broader portfolio of possibilities, then sure, like that trip to Paris might make you really, really happy for the nine days that you're there. Also, for all of our listeners out there, if you, if you are one of these people or if you have somebody in your family or your circle of friends if you've ever, uh, if, if you have anybody in your life that is paid an hourly wage or works in the service industry and works for tips, understand that that's also part of why maybe they don't show up to everything or why maybe they don't seem the happiest at a thing that they had to take a night off for. I, I used to remember doing that math where oh, if, yeah. if there was a, a family dinner that I was expected to be at on a Saturday night, it's not just the time of being at that dinner. It's also knowing that this cost me $500. You know, like it's costing me the money. If you are not salaried, everything that you do has an opportunity cost. And I, I've often asked that of people in my own family of, would you have paid $350 to be at this lunch of unseasoned food? Well, no, of course not. Why? Like, well, cause that's what it cost me. And I, I just hope that everybody out there listening has the grace uh, if they have people like that in their, their lives or their friendship circles um, to understand that that, that is 100% a math that a lot of us have to do yeah, out there. Yep, that's what's up. And it's, it's really important to remember that when you're asking a lot of people, whether it's for a wedding, a get-together, an anniversary, a celebration, a, a funeral, whatever it may be, uh, at this point in my life, I'm salaried, so it's just the time commitment. But for most of my life, it was not. And 
you have to try and as the human in that job, you have to try and weigh that out of like, how do I show that I care about something? How do I show love? But also how do I pay my bills? How am I going to pay rent? I think more than that, it's uh, (laughs) asking people in a way that is congenial and then accepting of the response. Correct. Because we all, we all have the homies that are like, you're not coming. We, you shouldn't do that. No matter no matter who the person is, but sure, that's definitely a consideration. Yeah. But and also uh, the frequency of opportunity mm-hmm. because I do invite people to stuff that costs quite a lot of money to do, but I'd like to balance that with come hang out in my yard in July. Mm-hmm. I'm cooking. I'm making the drinks. All you got to do is find a seat, bring one with you. Yep. That's all you got to do. I think that's important too, because if you're that friend who is only telling your friends, "Come with me to <laughs> Chicago," that's you know they might stop responding. Yeah, you know, you bougie bitch. They'll, they'll leave you. <laughs> they'll leave you on red. Yes, that's yes, what they'll do. Yes, they'll leave you on red. <laughs> well, cheers to this little bit of happiness that money did buy me. That's what's up. Yeah, little Love bit it. of little bit of eat when I'm done with this. I'm gonna get some of that bourbon. Oh, girl, I might switch it up and get some eat. Woo. Uh, all right, so previous guest of the podcast slash possible crasher for this episode, Paul Hennessy and I uh, <laughs> were having a discussion at um, at another previous guest of the podcast, Diane Yang's or Diane Mua's uh, 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 bakery, and uh, we were having her uh, her crepe cake, which is twenty layers of crepes with the most amazing Stupid. buttercream frosting. It's just bonkers. Open. And we were talking about how that's a perfect bite. And I really love celebrating that. And we've talked a lot about great dishes and entrees. But Charles, I was going to ask, is there an appetizer or like a dessert perfect bite that you really, truly love? Girl. Yeah. I Full disclosure, I didn't know exactly which way Kwama's going to go with this because we were talking about we've had discussion topics similar to this. And... Uh, I basically said, man, maybe contextualize it, and I'm totally cool with whatever way you go. Uh, I think that something that comes to mind, and honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to honor things that aren't super meat and like fat and cholesterol mm-hmm. forward a little more because I've been doing it in my life, trying to be healthier and consider those mm-hmm. aspects of, of my diet mm-hmm. as I age i don't know if this counts as an appetizer but it should contextually bro the question's up to you man (laughs) you take it where you want to go yakitori torishin in new york city is my favorite yakitori place that i've ever been to it's phenomenal if you're going to new york check them out they're so talented and they're so kind and sweet and interactive and they're like classic appeal it's technically the second location of a place that's in japan they had a michelin star that they i would say erroneously no longer um have in their in their repertoire i went on my last trip to new york city to another yakitori spot that does have a star and i like torsion more no offense to the place that i most recently went to but torsion was fucking awesome and they had this dish that for me was illuminating you call it dish if you want but it's a yakitori skewer right so for me hey appetizer whatever Mm -hmm. 
They're all appetizers. Yep. It's, a, it's an onslaught of appetizers. That's what. If that's. it's food that you eat before the food you eat, that's an appetizer. Which is the whole, <laughs> the whole meal, except for like the last, like on a bury or whatever, like the one uh-huh. like bowl of something. Uh, so they had grilled okra. Oh, yep. Let's in go. season, beautifully grilled, all charred on the outside. With the dancing bonito flake on it. Oh, yes. That's like all they did. They just grilled these over oh, I want hot that so bad. coal and then sprinkled over the bonito that was like flickering like the flames of this fake bonfire I'm looking at in the <laughs> distance. And it was just perfect. Grilled over the binchatan. So it has like that exact. I feel like I can smell it right now. The finest characteristic you can get from charcoal is from this. Beautiful binchatan. And it was absolutely brilliant, perfect bite. And I was, I kind of reared back. And this was amidst uh, a bunch of chicken because that's what yakitori means. Yakitori literally means grilled chicken. Mm-hmm. It was a sort of uh, intermezzo, you know, they'll give you some vegetables and stuff betwixt all their dishes. I didn't know that okra was a thing that is sometimes done with yakitori. I'm a Lebanese boy, so I eat a dish called beme that I grew up eating. It's a stew made with chunks of lamb meat, onion, and okra, and I love it. And a lot of people hate okra because of um, there's, like, a glueiness that can happen, like the stickiness in the middle. It depends the on best. how you prepare That's it. That's literally why I like I it. love that. That's why I love it in, like, African stews and right. Lebanese food and stuff. Fucking so when they, gumbo, jambalaya. So, yeah, and so the interesting thing about them doing the whole okra on the skewers the way that they prepared it is it didn't have that because that element occurs at a certain point in heat, you know, like, so the temperature components and the things surrounding it, if it's in a stew, if it's released, like the Lebanese bame, it is pretty, it's got a lot of that like glueiness, Yeah. but I don't got a fucking problem with it. But when they grilled it, and prepared it the way that they do and served it to me, I actually remarked to the yakitori uh, chef that was serving me. I said, "What did you, how did you prepare this? Did you steam it, blanch it? I've been led to believe until that point, the fresh okra has to be like cooked for a long time yeah. because it's got a lot of, you know, like fibrous material in it. And he said, no, we throw it right on the flame. Yeah. Straight raw, right on the flame. And it's, I was like, what? It was an epiphany. And this, hmm? is a couple, this is only like two years ago now. I was like, wait, you can just grill okra? You can just grill okra and it tastes like that? It was, <laughs> it was, it was an epiphany because I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. So it was one of those moments where not only tasting it and being like, oh, because part of it appealed to me as a Lebanese boy. Part of it appealed to me like what is happening right now? And then the explanation that, no, we just grill it hot, fast. You don't have to worry about any of that enzymatic uh, chemical process, whatever it is happening. And I was like, damn, you could convert someone to the flavor of okra by doing it this way. And I've been grilling okra because when you find it fresh at the farmer's market here in the summer, I'm like, yes, and I want it. And I have a yakitori grill at home, but I want that and I want to grill it and then like serve it to people. And I also put into the last thing I made with it when I grilled it fresh was I made like this corn, everything grilled, but like a corn salad that had okra and corn and roasted red and orange bell peppers and cilantro and lime and just basically 
fresh farmer's market grilled yeah. salad. Yep. There's probably some cotija in there. I don't remember mm. exactly what I did. Yes, I, kinda, I blacked out and just started throwing stuff <laughs> in the bowl, as one does. But it was spectacular. And I'm like, dude, this is my new favorite. Honestly, straight up, that's my new favorite grilling vegetable. Grilling okra because it's so flavorful. For people who don't like okra, okra has its own flavor characteristic. Yes, it's a green vegetable. Sure, there are commonalities perhaps mentally to you to some other green vegetables, but it has a very, uh, there are u- unique principles very, to yep. its flavor profile that are not commensurate with any other vegetable. And if you've been depriving yourself of okra because you've heard that it's slimy, grill some okra, yep. hot, fast, just like blast it. Put it as hot as you can on your grill for like two to three minutes Take it off, pop it in your mouth. I bet you're gonna be like, "Where's this been my whole life, dude?" It's it's so ironic that you bring that up because uh, I follow Chef BJ Dennis, uh, who does a lot of gula cooking in the South Carolina like coastal area, and is trying to mm. to keep that culture alive. Uh, from wait, uh, what's the cooking called? Gula. G-U-L-L-A-H. What is it? I don't, I don't know. So wait, wait, spell it again. G U L L A H. G U L L A H. I don't know that I've heard this ever. So it's the population of uh, it's a mixture of descendants of of African slaves, who as I, um, who tradesies, uh, as as uh, as they were freed and were no longer stuck on the plantations, wanted to get as far away from awful white people as possible. So they inhabited a lot of the islands that are off the coast of South Carolina. Because as far as, as mainstream white culture was considered, like they didn't even want to go out there. And so there is, um, it's a diaspora mix of African traditions and Caribbean island traditions that is very, very unique to just that area. And it's, it, they had a language of their own and a cooking culture of their own. And BJ Dennis is one of the people that's trying desperately to save it. Michael Twitty is also doing a lot of work on that because some of his ancestors were from the same area. Um, and because of, because of the lack of technology and the lack of resources out there, they had to get very creative. So a lot of things are cook, cooked over open flames. And okra mm. is also a very hearty vegetable. So that f- like factors into a lot of the cooking there. And I yeah, literally... it's got like a meatiness. Like when you bite absolutely. it, it's like there's a little bit of a... Depending on how it's cooked, there's a little bit of a crunch, but like mm-hmm. you have to bite it. In, but it also it, it, it gives you sustenance, it gives you fiber, and it works really well again in, in the stews that we were talking about. And so he was he was just talking about that, about just open flame cooking those over that. And I mm. it's it's really ironic that you bring that up because it's fascinating and it is it is absolutely underserved as far as food journalism is going right now and the work that he's doing is is just absolutely incredible it's it's amazing to see and i want to experience more of that cooking like the best i can do when he publishes recipes is try and make them at home but that is on my travel list of wanting to go uh, adventure a little bit more into that world Yeah, right on hell yeah for you for me man i i went the dessert route with it because Mm -hmm. i don't as a not sweets person i don't give dessert enough credit and my amazing wife has opened my world to uh, maybe get an awesome dessert that's a few bites. Because I can absolutely mm-hmm. understand that joy. Or have a few bites of it. Yeah, yeah either way. Can be, can be the, the cheat code. Yep. Because similarly, you know, that I don't like sweets. Especially in the U.S., which sounds weird. But when you 
have sweets in Lebanon, you're just dealing with a different animal because it's so like fruit forward and Correct. cheese and stuff. Yeah. So for me, mm. uh, my 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 runner up locally is there's a beautiful restaurant that's been leading the way for almost two decades, uh, the Butterscotch Budino at uh, one twelve Eatery. Yeah, is an end all be all dessert. I love that. I it it's a small little mason jar that comes out. It's the perfect amount. I Isaac love that. Becker restaurants, right? Always with the desserts because the salted it. caramel crispel. Oh, so at, good. Yeah, at, um, Bar La Grassa. That was for for ages. It was one of the. Sorry to digress. No, but it was one of the only. Actually, okay. In my life, the only dessert that every time I go somewhere, and actually the last time I went is the first time I didn't order it, but. Every time prior to the last time I went to Bar La Grasse in my life, which is probably 30 times, I have to get it because mm-hmm. it's this beautiful rolled crepe with a little bit of ice cream, Boom. a little bit of salted caramel drizzled over it. It's fucking perfect. It's perfect. It's, that's it. Yeah. But what I realized is as much as I've loved that budino and I get it every time I go, the thing that I've recommended to more people than anything else feels like that has to be my answer there is an ice cream shop in Miami in Little Havana called Azucar. And they have an ice cream that is called Abuela Maria. And it is a vanilla bean ice cream with mm. chunks of cheesecake and graham cracker. And, what? Yeah. And guava puree. All swirled oh, in. Oh, see, that would, that would make it for me. Right. The tartness. That's it. The guava. So it, that's, all, that's all swirled into it. Mm-hmm. And then when you get it, if you want, they'll do another run of guava puree over the top and then hit it with uh, some, Ooh, some graham cracker crumble. Every single human being that goes to Miami, I tell them they have to go. It's so fucking good. And then you do that with a Cuban coffee, which again, for me as a coffee drinker, I don't love sugar in coffee. And a Cuban coffee is literally brewed with sugar in it. So it comes out very strong, very sweet. It's just awesome. And then to have that, so you have the acidity of the coffee, that bitter and roastiness, and a little bit of sweetness in there so that it's not quite as polarizing. And then you have a bite of this incredible ice cream. You got some tanginess from the cream cheese in there. You have this beautiful, like, the the cinnamon and sort of warmer notes of the graham cracker, which I know is crazy to say because graham crackers are supposed to be flavorless and we're originally intended to be so flavorless that they kept people from jerking off, which is amazing. Please Google that. I promise you, you will go down a rabbit hole that is amazing. But you have a little bit of tart tanginess and richness from that cheesecake. And then you have the tart, sweet blend of the guava. And then you mix that with the brown sugar or raw sugar that's mixed in with the the Cuban coffee. And what you've created is this absolutely perfect moment where you can just sit, you got the Miami sun beating down on you, you can smell the salt water in the air from the ocean, and then you just sit and you have this beautiful ice cream and this hot coffee, and you go back and forth on the two, and it is just this sublime, incredible moment where you just want to like sit down and take it in and just be like, I'm going to close my eyes because I don't even want, I, I don't want an extra sense fucking this up. I want to have the touch and the taste and the smell all involved in this and just literally just roll with it. The only thing that I will add is it's also pretty dope because you're going to hear pretty much nothing but either uh, Cuban, Latin, or island music. So there's usually at least a little like, 
reggaeton going on, or maybe a little bit of like reggae or some traditional Cuban music. It it all just works together, and that's one of those moments where I just want to close my eyes and 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 be in that moment because it's just so fucking perfect. And really, at the end of the day, that's that's what I'm looking for in that perfect bite. So you got. You got the ice cream, you got the tartness, you got the richness, you got the roastiness from the Cuban coffee. It all works in harmony, yes. and then boom. And coffee for me is uh, the great neutralizer when it comes to consuming sweets. So I, could, I don't think I could ever eat a donut just eating a donut. But if you have a nice cup of coffee and you eat something like that, actually, here's a, okay, here's a great example because you brought up guava. So local here in the Twin Cities, there's two locations now. Local restaurant called Centro. Mm -hmm. They have a cafe uh, appended to their facility in Northeast Minneapolis. And they have a cinnamon roll that they make with guava paste in it. And when you look at the cinnamon roll, it looks like a cinnamon roll. (laughs) If you love cinnamon rolls, it looks like something you want to eat. If you don't love cinnamon rolls hand up yep it looks like something you would never eat because it's got like it's thick three and a half inches tall and it's got the frosting caked all over the top smeared firstly it's important to state that the cream cheese frosting they make is as tart as it is sweet so it's not because when i see frosting i recoil instantly i just it's not for me and then you also don't account for the fact that between the layers is not caramel, it's that guava paste. Yeah. So, so you got the tartness from their well-composed frosting that is, that has the tartness characteristic and tanginess of the the cream cheese. And then you have the tartness and like slight sour characteristic of that guava paste. That with a cup of coffee or uh, like a cold press or something, a couple bites of that, Beautiful. Just like chew on that, you know, I'm hanging out with Marnie on a beautiful Saturday, sunny Saturday morning in August. We're sitting out on the patio, you know, we're chopping that thing up and, yeah. and sipping coffee. Perfect. Come it's, on. That, that, makes, that makes it worthwhile. So the coffee element is huge. I will, I will ask you, uh, with the donut thing, that is one of two scenarios where I crave ice cold milk. I will also, a donut... And like a full fat or like a, at least a 2% glass of milk is one of the few times that I will crush an entire glass of milk. Because so I that alleviates it correct. For, for you. Again, it's, yeah. it's that clean washing of the flavors and then also a very cold and, and creamy vibe. But yeah, that, those are the coffee or ice cold milk are the only two things that I will have. I will never, I'm, I'm with you. I will never just eat a donut solo. Yeah, when we were in Atlanta... You know, now probably, was it two months ago, six weeks ago, something like that, when we were in Atlanta visiting my brother-in-law and his fiance, Shout out to the stallion. Yeah, Scotty. We went to this place that had, and it had this really cool classic appeal, like the red and white tile and everything, and they had the little hats and everything. And they had these great breakfast sandwiches, awesome breakfast sandwiches. And they had donuts. And that was probably the place that Scott was more hot on us trying than anywhere it's like, he put it, he made like a little manifest, which I love because I'm that kind of guy. And he had us going there multiple times. So I was like, well, I'm going to want to try some other stuff. Anyways, that morning I got up before everybody else. I popped out, walked, you know, six blocks to the cafe that was nearby. 
had my coffee and I was done because I'm that kind of guy now. I don't want to just drink coffee all day. So we went, they came and actually swooped me up so that we could go get the breakfast stuff when everybody else woke up. We went and got the breakfast stuff. I smashed my sandwich and then there was these really beautiful, well-composed donuts. I helped them pick flavors because they were cool sounding flavors. But I was done with my coffee. I wanted to try (laughs) the donuts so what I ended up doing is we chopped them up. I was taking like the babiest of baby sips of Marnie's coffee just so that I could taste coffee yeah. while I, and that worked a little bit. I'm so with that you I could, on that, man. And I was like, these are really good donuts, but I wish I didn't have all my coffee three hours ago. You know Some I mean? bitch. <laughs> yeah, like, shit. <laughs> so maybe we will need that second trip. Damn. <laughs> no, I'm with you on that. I, I, I 100% agree. It, I, it has to be the balance of flavors, but when you get that, that perfect bite slash sip combo... There's nothing better than that. That's the, the bomb. Uh, I'm going to cheers because I got some dill akavit, and I think I get to go again. Yeah, and I did the switcheroo with our bottles. I got that buffalo train. Shit. Oh, gamla o dill akavit. I love you so much. There is just a trace of buffalo in there, too. Uh, correct. It's real, real buffalo. <laughs> they ain't lying. Uh, all right, so... For all of our listeners that have been playing along this whole time, we are uh, we are 24 episodes away from 100, which is absolutely fucking bonkers to me. When when we started this as a little bit of a lark during COVID, to know where this was going to go was absolutely impossible. And I love that. Uh, we have some listeners that uh, have joined recently. Uh, I kind of wanted to ask you, like, when you think about great moments on this show, like, is there an episode or two that you go back to? Is there a moment or two that you go back to that, like, will always make mm. you smile or always make you think? Or yeah. maybe if somebody is a couple episodes in right now, what would you send them back to, to listen to? Yeah, and I also hope that longtime listeners are able to independently ponder this as they're listening. We, One of our favorite things about this podcast is when people tell us that they play along in mm-hmm. effect Love so it. when we present topics we think of it we think of it three ways we think how is a guest perceive this can we also answer the the topic at hand and then thirdly the third tier is our listeners who want to play along or consider these things for themselves it's cool when we know that you are also a part of this conversation it's not a two three or four person conversation we like to think of it as a a many many people conversation i i'm gonna go way back because it's it's hard it's like i can't pick one of my favorite kids and we've had so many great moments conversations hilarious things that happen like Peter dropping the mic in the dumplings <laughs> or Chef Tommy getting stuck upstairs because he couldn't find the false door to get back down to record with us. Uh, I told that story last night. It never gets old. It's yeah. The, we've, we've, we've had a lot of fun as you can tell if you've been listening for a while, I'm going to go back to episode number seven. And I was actually shocked to find out that it was this far back, almost 70 episodes ago, 69 actually. But, <laughs> Nice. Episode seven of our podcast was at PA Hall with the wonderful and extraordinary Stephanie March. Yes. And I didn't know her. So we do these things where, you know, uh, we, we always do these things on the podcast where we're like, I don't know this person. And then we know them, you know, we always say they don't hug us when they walk in, but they hug us when they walk out. So when 
Miss March came on the show. It was a treacherous time with like lockdown and stuff. And Peak we lockdown. were, and we were like doing this like cavernous former church where we would super, super space out. And she showed up with a bottle of whiskey that she brought for us as bourbon. I don't remember the bourbon, but it was, I don't know if she realized the proof when she brought it. And that was the soul spirit of our episode. <laughs> yep. And I remember we were, I don't know, four topics in and in my head, I was like, you know what? This is actually not, there's no way this is 80 or 90 proof. And I don't remember what it was, but it's probably like 116 or 120 proof. And we were just having an absolute blast and the way we laid it out to her and she is, she's down for anything. And so when we told her, if you got to go to the bathroom, you just go and hearing her clap away <laughs> and clap back on the, you can hear it picked up on the mics, like, gunk, 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 beautiful her, like, 80 year old boots. hardwood floors yeah, with her, her high heeled boots. Yeah. Just dunk, 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 like <laughs> trying to hurry. But, like, that might be my mic. favorite sound effect of all time. And also, and just like f- discovering what a joy she is to speak to and how much fun she had with us. I didn't know exactly how relaxed she would be because I didn't know her. No. And I know she's a good time. And we'd like DM'd on social media. We saw one another at a Euro place one time. And I messaged her and said like, oh, we didn't, I saw you, but I didn't want to bother you. And she said, I saw you too. And like, so that was kind of the way that we persisted in a similar environment until that episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that perhaps the moment for me, and it didn't actually occur to me until I put it in the space of time that I just put it in. The thing that was the best moment for me wasn't picked up on the recording, but I hadn't hugged anyone that wasn't my wife in maybe six months, maybe eight months. I don't remember. Everything's a blur, as you know, if you're listening, and as we know, as your hosts... And uh, she insisted, insisted we're hugging. And yeah. she ran up and squeezed me around my lower back. It pulled in. And I, I like, you know, I sent me reluctantly at first, but then put my arms around her upper back. But then I was like, God damn it, that feels good. Right. That feels good. And especially after the conversation and experience we we just had, everything about it was just wonderful. And the other reason that I bring it up is that she's, well overdue to return. Yeah. We talk about it all the time and she would, I know she would come back at, I wouldn't say a drop of a hat, but I know she'd come back and I, I can't wait to have her back on because a lot's changed. Uh, it, never mind the world, but a lot has changed in our own home dining scene and in the dining scenes surrounding us and further out in the time and space between that recording and today. And I know it would be like, she was never on almost yep. We'd have so much to talk about, and I can't wait until that, that day comes. She's such a rad human, and one of the things that I've loved is that I've been able to bring a few close friends of mine on this show and get to watch you, Charles, form a relationship with them. Like, I, it's one of those things where, like, I love that you get to understand. We both get to how, do that, right? right? Like, yeah. It's fun. And, and Steph is, is absolutely And sometimes integral. people, neither of us know. Yeah. Right? But I just mean, like, Steph is a great example of somebody who is integral in my life. And I love the fact that the minute that she walked in, the same way that I felt about her seemed to be how you felt about her. And it, it's just amazing. We, 
Uh, just recently, we had an iron bartender competition, which raised $11,000 for Project Black and Blue, which is, a, uh, in essence, a slush fund for emergencies for anyone in the service industry which is, uh, to me, a very, very important thing. Whether it's you have a flat tire and you can't afford to fix your car or you have something uh, medically going wrong and you don't have insurance, you can literally just submit a claim and they'll just cut you a check. Like, no questions asked. This is what we're going to do. Yes. And uh, there's a, a new restaurant that just opened called The Butcher and the Boar here in the Twin Cities. And they had very, very graciously donated uh, a dinner with Steph March on there. And she walked up to me and she's like, I don't know who's going to bid on this. And as a woman, it feels a little bit weird to have to take someone out to dinner. Would you mind being my partner? Yeah. I was like, okay. absolutely. Oh, so, that's, so that's how that platonic power couple, Stephanie March and Ben Quam <laughs> created uh, a, a new, a new giveaway. And uh, uh, surprising everyone in the room, including myself, most of all myself, uh, someone paid $650 to go out to dinner with Stephanie and I, and I couldn't be more honored or more happy about it. And I couldn't picture anybody that would be more fun to go out for a random dinner with. That's awesome. I wish I, I bid on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll just have to go out to dinner. And I know you people. So. Yeah. We could just give to a charity and go out to dinner <laughs> together. Which yeah. Is perfect. Right. <laughs> uh, for me, um, I was, I was thinking about this and, uh, I think the episode that I tell people to listen to the most was our episode with Yia Vang. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, we had some huge belly laughs and we also got very emotional. And, uh, if, if, if it all had to end tomorrow and I had to, to answer to somebody and say, what are you the most proud of? Uh, Charles, I will tell you, I'm so proud and honored to have been a part of that conversation. I think that that is, that is three hours of my life that makes me so proud every time I think about it and listen to it, because I think that was a discussion, both the hilarious and the emotional. I think that was a discussion that will forever sit with me. Um, as good of a chef as Yevang is, and he is one of the best in the country, straight up, let's call a spade a spade. Yep. I venture to say that he is an even better storyteller. I, I absolutely agree. He is, he is a great orator. He's, he's a great conversationalist. He is an absolute joy to speak with. Yep. He has podcasts of his own, which I encourage you to look absolutely. into. Absolutely. Uh, Monglish is incredible. Yep. We're, we're about that here, you know, like spread the love, mm -hmm. spread the joy, fucking gasp your friends up. <clears throat> that was, and that was absolutely an instance where uh, I didn't know Yia. I didn't know Yia. We have a lot of friends in common. Um, I never even shook his hand before he walked in that room. Yep. And that conversation was not, not just for us, because we're both now recounting what a great conversation that was, but I have people remark, my own wife, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't listen to every episode. It's funny saying that on air because like, if she hears this, she's going to be like, oh, great, you called me out. But uh, it's, it's the way the world, we have more strangers. We always say it, more we have more strangers than friends that listen to our Absolutely. podcast. Absolutely. But uh, she, that was an episode that she tuned into and she was like, wow, what a phenomenal conversation um, on a different frequency because we have so many different, we can, 
we kind of let the conversation guide itself, but the way that that conversation went down and everything that we learned about him and our listeners learned about him via that conversation. And then I knew about him when I went with our good friend, Paul Butenhoff to the, um, Mm Vinay, uh, the, the residency that they were doing and had that meal. And he spoke a little bit, but in brief regarding his background, I, already had from that episode so much more information about like where the name came from, where the inspiration for the food came from and all the meaningful components of his life and his wisdom and his, his cumulative experience to bring him to where he is today as a chef, but he has so much more than that to give. That's his form of storytelling. That's his paper that, you know, a carrot's the pen and, you know, the paper's the plate. For real. But he has a, an immense amount to give the world beyond that, That's right? It. Right? Like, And, and to, to, to be able to have the space. You know, I talk about it a lot with my friends that to have a conversation where phones aren't out, where there's no, like, uh, ambient TV going on, where people can't walk up, like, it's it's... Long-form conversation is hard to find these days. Mm-hmm. And, and I love having those moments. And that, again, that moment just, it, it will forever sit with me as, as something amazing. If you want something a little bit more, more lighthearted, I will, I will also direct you to the, uh, the OG Laserbeak episode. Because I have never gone hard in the paint with anybody about babyface before. <laughs> But uh, we need I'm, a daily double button qualm <laughs> when you do this shit. Sometimes it's gonna happen. Uh, if if you want to really remind yourself of how incredible an artist and songwriter Babyface is, go back and listen to that one too. Because holy shit, it reaffirmed my love of Babyface yeah. and my yeah. my uh, current jams playlist reflects that <laughs> immediately. Yep, Pod, uh, uh, podcast uh, soundtrack man. Yes, sir. Soundtrack man. Well, cheers to that shit, man. Yeah. Another, mm. I mean, I I also, I'm going to cheers to all three of those beautiful human beings. 100%. Coming back on the podcast someday. Mm. Yes, sir. Wait, my turn? It is. Is it my turn? All right. Also, you're such a fucking bitch for asking this. Yeah, well. <laughs> I'm so jealous. I hate you so much. Hey, spoiler alert. Hold up. All right. No, okay, so knowing what we know about Noma closing, and this is, dude, this is crazy because in the space I know, I know. when we were supposed to have this conversation and the space in which we are having this conversation, some stuff happened. So knowing what we know about Noma closing, Noma, the most legendary restaurant, perhaps, in the history of the world, other than El Bouilly, which is now defunct, of course, long defunct. Kwame, I want you to name a restaurant, bar, or a music venue uh, you know you have to visit before it closes. And it's not necessarily somewhere that's, you know, impending closing. But if you haven't been there, just like the Bruce Springsteen effect, you never know, right? Like, who knows when... Uh, uh, the doors could shutter of a place that you love. Where haven't you been that you know you need to go? This is a tough one because the first time that we talked about this, when we when you kicked me questions, uh, the first thing that popped into my brain was one that I missed. 
and I will forever be mad that I didn't get to go to CBGB's before they closed. Ah, yeah. I, I, uh, for what my musical background is and the bands that changed my life, I hate that I missed out on that and that I had the opportunity to a number of times and still didn't. It, it really bothers me. It, it almost feels like somehow I sold out my own credentials by not, not going there. I, I very much am, am sad about that. If I had to pick somewhere that is currently open that I would like to go before it's all said and done, mm-hmm. I think I have to go to French Laundry. Uh, uh, as, yes far as, as far as a chef who has inspired me, I was fortunate enough to get to go to one of uh, Chef Keller's other properties. And uh, somebody somehow found out that it was my 35th birthday and that I was very into food, and they gave me a full tour of the kitchen, and I got to actually go in back and see all the equipment. Service gods, like yeah. Keller's spots, they treat you like no one else yeah. is in the dining room. Correct. And I, I will forever love that that was a part of my life. I love that, that the, the grace that was shown to me by that staff, as far as they knew, I'm just some... Bobo hanging out in Vegas, yeah. whose birthday it was. Yeah. And the fact that they let me ask questions and the fact that the chefs were like, oh, you actually have interesting questions. Let's talk for a while. Like we, we delayed our dinner because, or sorry, we delayed our dessert because we were having so much fun hanging out and talking with everybody. Mm. That is something, I, I guess I, I kind of always thought that in back, it would be very much like the old uh, Looney Tunes production machine, like, just everybody smashing mallets and conveyor belts. And there was so much love and attention to detail and absolute affection for every dish going out of that kitchen. It's more like a Disney movie. 100%. The way people are like pirouetting. When I got back there, absolutely. It seemed like something more out of Fantasia than it did as as like some rudimentary. Per se, French laundry. Like I've been able to wave bicosely to each of those restaurants from the other restaurant on the screen that they share because they can see each other over the, the camera. Yep. And when you walk into those kitchens, you're like, this doesn't even seem like a real kitchen. Correct, correct. You know, is this some Chuck E. Cheese shit? Yep. Like, <laughs> and for whatever reason, there's something romantic. Like French Laundry was sort of the first restaurant that I felt like draw me to it. Like I had seen plenty of white linen, uh, everything is immaculate, Everything is perfect. Everybody is in three-piece suits. I'd seen plenty of that in my life. Uh, that, that, I don't have any affection or, or attachment to that. That's not a life that I ever aspire to live. But sure. French Laundry, it seemed cozy. To have something of that level of perfection that also still seems comfortable and cozy, it, it created this thing in my head that, oh, maybe that is possible. And we've, we've actually talked about this on a number of recent episodes. I am one of those people that, for whatever reason, I, I, I get these ideas in my head and that this has to be this way or it's not. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? This Come, come dine here. And that will probably be an, an aspirational thing that will happen in the next couple of years. 
Go yes. out, hit some wine country, Dude, and then go and have a dinner. Please do, please do. And we have this. There's one of one of many tropes on the show is that Quam always brings up his trip to France, and I always bring up my trip to a French laundry. And I've been very, uh, I've been, I've been very cognizant of that and trying to not bring up French laundry, but to to recant like. My dining history, I'm a star grazer, and I've been to a lot of Michelin star restaurants. And that experience from six or seven years ago now going to French Laundry still sticks out in my head when you talk about, man, you know, feeling like you're somewhere that is another world. You feel like you're transported to another universe when you're in their dining room and the way that they treat you and serve you and speak to you. When I went with Marnie, I was already, you know, a fine dino, but not like, uh, I wasn't, I wouldn't say at that point I was quite yet a star grazer, right? I was like very early. I'm sorry. I just realized we have to have a sound effect of a dinosaur roar. Roar. Because then every time every time you see fine dino, I want to hit the, the Tyrannosaurus at the end of Jurassic Park. But the, then a glass clink. Yes. <laughs> right. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> so and I, I'm I've I've mentioned this on the on the pod before, but when Marnie and I went there, I did still feel like uh I, I had a, a little bit of imposter syndrome. Sure. You know? I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Everyone in this place is going to know that I, like, scraped together all of my resources to be able to make this trip happen, which is silly and may not have even been true at the time. But I wore a suit. She wore a beautiful dress. And I remember sitting in the dining room and feeling like maybe people would think that I'm out of place. But the way that they treat you there and now i can flesh out that this is true of all of thomas keller's restaurants they treated me like i'd been there all along they treated me like i was there for the 30th time and that you cannot you cannot overstate the value of what that does to you when you're trying to understand your place in a world that can feel very foreign. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking, man, I would love to go to a one or two or a three-star Michelin restaurant, but I don't know if I'd be out of place. Or maybe you're like convincing yourself that ah, I don't I don't need to go there. Uh, that's not my scene. But in the back of your mind, you really want that thing. When we went there, it made us feel over. It was like a it was like a rising curve. We were more and more and more comfortable. By the end of that meal, when we're sitting on the veranda overlooking all of the the vineyards, drinking our uh, post-dinner spirits, I was smoking a cigar because they just started their cigar program. We were eating the last vestiges of our dessert. I felt like royalty. They made me feel like what you felt three hours ago and what you feel now you're this is the person that we always perceived you to be and it that's what you want that's what you want right when you have a dining experience and they make you feel like you belong and that actually imbued me with the like strength 
to go like Super Saiyan on <laughs> on, on dining stars. experiences yeah. because I was like, yes, I can, I can be in these spaces and I belong in these spaces. Fuck yeah! And I, I'm as as valuable here in in this experience as anybody else sitting in this dining room. And I'll never forget like the sort of beauty and the beast value component of the way that they make you feel and the way they behave. And the second your plate's empty, someone spins around the corner and grabs <laughs> your plate and then sets a cloche down and pops it off. And then whoop, whoop they're just out of the room. It's yeah, it, it's absolutely brilliant. And I wish that for you that you can go to there in the near future. I want you to, I, I would love for you to go there sometime in the next couple of years, because I know you. And also there's another thing. You don't have to work as hard to go there as I had to work to go there. Correct. Because I had to call. Oh, my God. I can't believe this is happening. 69 times I had to call their phone line. <laughs> nice. 69, 69 times I had to call. And it was $420. <laughs> nice. But every time I called, the way, they, the way their answering machine answers to tell you to go fuck yourself, it says, hello, you've reached the French Laundry. Sorry. But our lines are full. So, like, it sounds like you got someone. Like you got somebody. So, it's like a mind fuck. And then that 69th time that I got through, and it was now after their reservations opened, it was like an hour and a half later. It was literally 90 minutes of me pacing around my office calling them. And I was like, I'm just going to ride this through. And I got through on number 69, and they, <laughs> someone picked up and said, hello, you've reached a French laundry. How can I help you? And I was like, what Holy the fuck? Shit, you are, you a, are you a human? You are cannot you human? answer the phone the same way that your answering machine starts. Get the fuck out of here. That's some bullshit. Period. I don't care who you are. I'm probably twisting it up a little bit in my brain. Yeah. But it was almost like I couldn't tell if it was a person. Listen. And they answered. I'm trying to start a fight between us and French Laundry. So let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyways, I was astounded to find that they could seat us for our dataversary and so the whole thing was like an, it was like a total mystery. Like, whoa, this is happening. I can't believe it. Okay. It felt like something unattainable. And then Boom. we had it. And it's, it's as beautiful as anyone makes it sound. It's probably twice as beautiful when you experience it. Sick. I mean, what, what is, that, that can't be your answer. No, because I've been there. Okay. So, yeah. So. But I am going to, I'm not going to twist the rules like that because that would be really twisting the rules. But I'm going to twist the rules a little bit because (laughs) (laughs) when I was going to answer this a week ago, I thought I was copping out by stating the thing that the question was based around because that thing is Noma. You fucking cunt. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I, I got a reservation in Noma in July. Um, Noma is closing for good at the end of this year. I'm fairly certain. I don't know the exact specifics, but they had a four-month block of reservations. I decided naturally to throw my hat in the ring. When the reservations opened up a couple days ago, I'll tell you, uh, you know, let me, let me, let me regale you with the story of how this went down. So, they said they're going to send, they sent me an email a couple weeks ago. They said, we're going to send an email when reservations go live at 8 a.m. CST, you know, Copenhagen time. We're going to send you an email with a reservation link. And I was like, all right. And I set a thing in my calendar to state like 8 a.m. our time. Mm-hmm. Those reservations open. 
It's about 7.45. I'm looking at my email box. I'm like, dude, they're not going to send this email. They're on talk. I know they're on talk. So I opened talk and I said, I'm just going to F5 this motherfucker and see what happens at 8 a.m. So 7.59, I start (laughs) blasting F5. And they got logged down. They crashed talk. Like talk was not reloading. It was getting all jittery and weird. Right at 8, it was probably 8.0002. When the last time I hit that reload button, it showed the blue button, yeah. make reservations. I clicked that book now, motherfucker. And then every day for four months was gray already. <laughs> Two seconds. Every day was gray. Done and done. I spent 10 minutes because that's how long you have on yep. talk. <laughs> that's how long you have on talk to f- complete your reservation. So I figured if everyone got one at eight... Then I, I have 10 minutes to find someone who dropped out. So I was like, reload, reload, like nonstop. 10 minutes reloading nonstop to see if something would break loose. Nothing broke loose. So 8, 11 or so, I finally said, you know what? It's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm not getting in. So what ended up happening about 15 minutes later is I finally got that email from Noma. And they acted like the reservation was going up when their email went out. And it said, hey, click these links to get a reservation at Noma. And it had three dedicated links. One dedicated link, dinner. One dedicated link, Friday lunch. One dedicated link, singular seats. They do like share tables apparently where like you can dine as a singular diner. And I said, you know what, let's go nuts. And I started just like firing off, clicking each of those links. And what I discovered is when you click the link through the email, what would happen is it would show you any size table that was available, air quotations, at that time. Come on. So they have different tables with different numbers of people pop up. But every time I I'd click it as fast as I could, it would say, gone, someone got it, gone, someone got it. TLDL, I ended up getting one for lunch. It popped up and I was like, okay. And I had the 10 minute timer and then I kept clicking dinner. Bang, 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 bang. There's about three minutes left on the lunch reservation that I had in my pocket. And the dinner one finally went through and I got it and it popped up and I went through and it had the timer up and I was like, Ooh, dude, let's go. Come on. So locked it in and I was like, wow. All right. I did not expect this to happen so vegetable season july that's what they call it vegetable season at noma july i'm going to copenhagen it's happening and that still qualifies as my answer because i haven't been there and i gotta be there totally and i'm going and i'm working on everything else around it i got a reservation at jordanaire uh i'd like to get one at alchemist but they already sold all their tickets so i'm seeing if there's any way i can get in there and then um, I have a couple other reservations. Geranium is technically on the top 50 restaurants in the world. That's number one, not Noma. Their reservations open up in a couple months, but I'm trying to get in there too. But all that matters, it doesn't matter. I could literally just go to Noma, mm-hmm. go to Copenhagen and go to Noma mm-hmm. and then explore the city that I've never been to. And I was supposed to go to with some friends like five or six years ago. It's a beautiful city. I, I'm it, Honestly, I'm more jealous I hate saying this out loud. I'm more jealous that you're going to Copenhagen than I am that you're going to Noma. Like, I, I love that city. It is, there's, there is a life and an energy that exists in that city, especially when it's warm out, that is very, very, the only other place that I've been that felt like that as a city was uh, Bogota, Colombia. 
There's there's so much just happiness and joy in that town. And aside from the aside from the fact that they sound like they're speaking Norwegian, but they have a whole potato in their mouth, uh, it's <laughs> also a beautiful language. So I got to go with it. Yeah. So that's it. That's it. You know, yeah. because I haven't been there, and I want to go there before mm-hmm. they're gone. And, and we know, and we know it. that they will be gone. And I'm I'm pleased as punch that I am going to be able to experience that. Uh, but again, the Bruce Springsteen protocol. I got to be there. You have to. I got to be in the seat. But I know that when my butt's in that seat and I wiggle around and get my forearms on the table and look around the room, ah, that's that's it. We up in this. And shit, here's another thing, man. Like when you first told me that you originally were going to go for vegetable season, I was like, ah, that's kind of lame. But now I'm changing my point of view a little bit and... I'm almost happier I'm going for vegetable season. Totally. Because when you look at the plates that they prepare for vegetable season, it looks alien. I want to be inspired. It looks like another planet's vegetation because of the things that they're foraging and preparing for people. And somehow that to me is, is more intriguing today, Charles, in March 2023. Uh, then it's then it's ever been yep. right. It's like so appealing to me seeing that. I'm very very enthralled and excited Love. for that. Uh, we we have we have a guest. We have a secret. We have guest. a secret guest. This is fun. We've never done. We've this. never done this, and I kind We've of fucking love this. it. Uh, I would like to welcome. Uh, I literally referenced you two questions ago. Uh, and but, three questions. It's, it's almost as though he was ordained to appear. <laughs> he was just going to appear. But we are joined uh, by two-time guest Paul Hennessy. Like a Pokemon. Like a, like a Pokemon has it, appeared it, and we have captured him. Pokemon. Pokemon Paul Hennessy. Pokemon. <laughs> as, he's known, guest of the as he's known in the streets. Yeah. Because <laughs> I find all the Pokemon. <laughs> it's Pokemon I've Paul. I've actually What's never up? found a single Pokemon. Well, shit. Not Why, do you play? Do you play Pokemon Go? And you just are really bad at it? No, I wish. Uh. I want that to be the answer. <laughs> yeah. I also want to back up and just say, like, Charles, you offer such great dialogue on this show. Please just punch. I just, like, those nuggets are... are you allowed to say that still? I'm not going to lie. I've known Paul for so long. I was waiting for the the insult to come in after the compliment mm. but that was that was just a very nice thing to say yeah yeah like. the insults come after the compliments <laughs> <laughs> yeah there yeah. we go what's the mic turn off then shit gets dark tear apart your psyche yes. not just coming at you hot yeah that's right well it's ironic that you, that you arrive right now um Isn't paul it? did you pour anything in your glass yes i have the uh Akavit of Dill. All right. So uh, as you have a glass, I would like to raise a cheers. Beats to the, in the streets. Is what the I like twosome that is now a threesome. Hey. Hi-yo. And Paul, I want to bring you in on this question because uh, my answer to this question involves your hometown. But uh, living in Minnesota, going through both awful winters and then on top of it, the uh, drastic effects of climate change... Uh, we were supposed to have like the world ending blizzard last week and it ended up being a lot of snow that was sandwiched around rain and then it has rained a few more times. So we have ice and shit tons of snow, all kinds of stuff. 
what I wanted to ask is they were, you know, basically like all of the radio stations, all the TV stations were all like, this is the apocalyptic storm to end all storms. All businesses should close. Stay home if you can. We, every few years living in Minnesota, we have one of those roll through. We have a couple that we still talk about to this day, a la the Halloween 91 blizzard. That is just, it's a part of the cultural fabric. What, for both of you, what is the craziest storm you've ever had to weather slash shelter from? And what did you do to get through that? Ooh. Yeah. Shelter from the storm. Bob Dylan like a motherfucker. Uh-huh. <laughs> You'd think it'd be like wintertime, right? Right. And, and I, w- I just want to... It's where the mind goes, right? By saying that, like, as a Duluthian, I'm proud to admit that I've never been through a terrible winter... I love winter. Yeah. I fucks with winter mm. nonstop. I think it's one of the best parts about our state. I think that uh, seeing people embrace like the Oworth Park and uh, the Fat Bike Trails and the Lopit and all the like Great Northern Festival, mm-hmm. it just reminds me like we live in an awesome place. Some people may not be cut out for this shit. Dude, you you embody, I, I almost have to turn in my Norwegian card when I hang out with you. And I'm so glad that I got to take uh, you and your lovely partner to Norway with me. Because you embody, like one of the taglines, if you are Norwegian, it is sewn into every sweater and every pair of boots and every pair of snow pants. The, the slogan translates to, there is no bad weather, there's only bad clothes. And you are 100% the person that embodies that to me. Hennessy looks like the dude you want to greet you at a tavern on, like, a Lord of the Rings video game. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Legit. <laughs> Legit. Uh, I'm greeting, I'll be greeting at a tavern near you till they pull me out of said tavern <laughs> and tell me I can't greet anymore. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I okay, want a wooden mug that is full of mold wine immediately. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, but the worst storms that I've ever uh, weathered were all rainstorms, all like thunderstorm situations. Yep. Sure. Yep. Uh, whether it be like paddling on a lake in a situation mm. that got dicey really fast yep. and you know, there isn't a shelter. So paddle faster. <laughs> like, it's not a, you know what I mean? You can't just flip the canoe over. You're, you get off, the, get off the water, get off the water, get out of the pool, get off the shed. <laughs> that's, that's like in my mind. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, or, you know, being, just being out like camping up the North shore, yeah. there were plenty of, I think a tree just fell, you know, like yep. in and around the tent area. This is when, now everybody does hammocks, but this is when tents were, I think you guys remember tents. <laughs> Back when we had shelters. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that those, those are the ones I remember being like, uh, we're all gonna die. Was it, yeah, yeah. Was, was there one specifically where you you actually had to have that conversation? And you I, had... I think paddling on Lake Superior, one hundred percent. Oh my was god! Like I think I didn't realize I you think, were talking about actual. Lake I Superior. think this is the end, <laughs> and uh, I'm. It turns out you are ready for it. 
in some regard. Yeah. Because you're like, we're out of options. Because right? self-preservation kicks in dealt. real quick. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't mean you're going to stop paddling. I just You just continue paddling. And then the, it's like, hey, was that lightning? I don't, I mean, why the fuck bring it up right now? Yeah, like, let's talk about that on shore. Because what am I going to do about continue it? Continue paddling. Did it hit you? <laughs> Have you been yeah. lightninged? Yeah, like if the answer is no, then we need to keep fucking. We don't going. need to discuss the food rations right now because we need to discuss the blood rations. <laughs> and the, the need to get to shore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Charles, what about you? Where did you find? Yeah, Shout out I, from the style. Huh? I mentioned uh, in the the last episode with Splinter that crazy winter post-apocalyptic experience that we had driving back from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where while we were there, it was like sunny and dry and we came back and it was just insanity. So that would certainly qualify, but I will also go the uh, rainstorm route. The interesting thing as someone who um, visits Lebanon, it's been a while now, obviously, but... um, I visited family there for years, and we have a place there that we visit. Uh, I used to stay with my aunt in a small mountain town in the in the mountains in Lebanon called Jiran. And in Lebanon, it doesn't rain a lot. I've been there when it's been raining. For all the days that I've been there, it's probably 1% of the days I've been there, it's rained. One night when I was staying at my aunt's place in Jiran, and this isn't like 2009, perhaps, there was a this crazy lightning storm, and it sounds it sounds almost fictional what happened because it came down like the sky opened up like someone took the seal off of a spigot and it just dropped on us, and I was dead asleep. And it hit my aunt's house and everything surrounding us. And thunder and lightning fell from the sky and just rained down upon the earth. And a lightning bolt hit the earth just outside of the window of the room I was sitting in. Probably 20 yards out in the field or garden just behind her house. Did you struck the earth? Did you physically feel the. It shook. Yeah. Yeah, it shook everything including my bones wow yeah that's the like getting caught in a storm that people <laughs> say it's like how do you get caught in a storm like that it just happened legit in the mountains yeah that's like a a thing mm-hmm. where it's like boom you're caught it, in a storm right and we were all up my aunt her husband my cousins the neighbors everyone was suddenly in a state of alarm this doesn't happen not like that that doesn't happen a lot and water started to come through the living room ceiling because they have flat roofs. And I busted out in the living room and I was like, what do I do? Like, how can I help? And because there's water and we we're like putting buckets in the living room. My cousin Danny is like, we got to get up there to get the water off the roof. And he procures this ladder, like telescoping ladder, busts it out, puts it up against the side of the house. Me and Roger, their neighbor, climb up the ladder we had a squeegee and a bucket, and we're just sloshing water off of yeah. the roof to make sure that it would stop bleeding through and trying to keep up with it as it fell like a boat taking on water. Lightning is still flashing, thunder, and it felt like we couldn't keep up. And also, 
it just struck the earth. Yeah. Thunder struck the earth. Like <laughs> death just, is coming just there, very close just, to us. Just there. <laughs> and now you're the tallest thing. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wild. And then the, the ultimate kicker and it didn't last long because it, you know, when you, the higher up you are, the faster it passes. So it's just, you know, yeah, yeah. like I, it lasted for probably a half hour in some, I was, standing in the road beside my aunt's house. And I was actually skeptical as to whether I was going to say this part because it sounds totally fictional, but I was standing in the road and we were like sopping wet. Everything was like finally calming down. And I felt something behind me and I turned around. There's a fucking hyena standing in the street Yo. like right behind me. Now, interesting thing about that is that there, there are hyenas around there. And they don't go into the street because they think cars are like big animals that can hurt them. And the fact that there was a hyena just like standing in the street almost felt like a spirit animal situation. So I turned around and to me it felt like in my memory that it was 10 feet away. It's probably more distant than that. But it's super weird to be standing in the road and turn around and have a hyena like literally looking at me, standing sideways, head tilted, looking at me. And I looked at it and I was like, um... (laughs) Hey, and then you went Mufasa, buddy. and then he ran away. <laughs> no, I mean those things are yeah big, right? Yep. Like people are like, oh, it's like a dog. You're like, eh. uh-uh. which probably made it feel maybe made it feel closer than it well, I'm sure. was. Yeah, I don't know. I don't it's know for how sure bigger how than a big dog. it was. Like, yeah. oh yeah, oh it's man, bigger they can, than a dog. They can be lot. big. They can yeah, they can be large. And it Look was big ass thick necks, big ass hyenas with the raised raised hair and the cool mohawk. Yeah, exactly. And it was kind of just like looking at me and then it kind of just like sauntered off, turned its head and just walked back off the ravine and disappeared sort of. It didn't disappear, but like once I realized it was going away, I went away. Yeah. Like, okay. I felt like we stared at each other for an eternity, but it's probably 10 seconds. So you weathered a second storm in your emotional. The, the whole thing. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was, it was hot and fast. Like yep. everything that happened happened so quickly. And the next thing you know, I'm inside and I'm changing and like drying off and then trying to get myself back to sleep and the sun was essentially coming up and then you have that weird light in the sky from a storm it's all like weird and green and yeah, shit yeah isn't that weird how that happens because i've had some storms here where the sky's green and you're like, am i playing fallout what or, is this <laughs> you know what but I mean? is hyena storm like a wrestling name you've tossed around in that's your, a finishing move it's a I'm move just, it's a tag ooh, team move hyena storm yep. yes <laughs> that's where that's where I get in the ring and everybody's like, oh, what's the the big fat guy going to do? And then Charles is right behind him. Like, Rah! you, you just look at him and you're like, start to walk away. And then you don't. Mm, yep. you, do you do your a, finishing move. You do a back body drop and I spear him out of the air. Mm, love this. Let's go. Let's go. Sam. <laughs> she is. Sam. Uh, mine actually isn't technically a storm, but it's a it's a weather anomaly that happened. And to this day, it's still the scariest, weirdest thing that I've ever been a part of. But I was in Duluth, Minnesota, Paul's hometown. And uh, I was there for the worst polar vortex of my lifetime. And in the span of an afternoon into an evening into the next morning, uh, the air temperature dropped to 37 below Fahrenheit. And uh, there's a a really... There's an incredible, I mean, Paul, I want to say it's also an incredibly unique bar called Sir Ben's. Yes. That is basically a converted house. It's a residential house. And it used to be just a sandwich and beer spot. Right. For like forever. Yep. Every beer that you've ever heard of Mm -hmm. and a couple that you haven't. Yep. 
So it's it's literally a residential house that was turned into a commercial kitchen slash beer, and now they have they have hard alcohol as well. Cool. Coincidentally, too, they yeah. have an Irish night on Thursday nights. I don't I know. know if you know this, I but I not. went to it <laughs> <laughs> for the culture. Uh, and uh, as the polar vortex was hitting, like you hear the news talk about it, but I will freely admit that much like trying to imagine billions of dollars, negative thirty Fahrenheit just doesn't make sense to me. You get to a point where it, Okay, it's just very cold. And we decided, uh, I had an Airbnb rented that is maybe an, a mile, mile and a half away from this bar. And so we thought, well, let's go there. We'll have a couple beers. We had some supplies. And then we were going to head back to the Airbnb. And I was going to cook up a whole mess. Uh, Paul, it's the same Airbnb that you and I <laughs> stayed at. And uh, I was going to co- cook up a whole mess. And then we were all going to stay there. So we were all there with our, our cars and, and we could at least feel like we were somewhere safe. It was a very warm and beautiful house owned by a good friend of mine named Lindsay. And while we were sitting at Sir Ben's, there's the normal front door, like to the front door to the original house is where most people go in. But there's also uh, an emergency exit that goes out to the, the back area where the cars are. Yeah, that's, but it's also totally... Where everybody goes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like the exit that's like kind of, it's, is it an emergency? They, exit? they like, have the, there's a sign. They have the alarm will sound, but yeah. everybody just goes in and out of it. Yeah. But it's a metal door. And while we were sitting there, the bar was full. So we got a table. So we're near this door. And while we were sitting there, it was straight up out of the day after tomorrow. I watched frost because I'm facing the door at this table. I watched frost form all around the border of the door and then visible frost closed in to the middle. Because the door is never shut. And all, yeah. And all of this happened in the span of about 10 minutes. So I'm just watching it as we're all having a conversation. We're drinking beers and we had food. We had uh, surprisingly good nachos there. And we're just sitting there crushing them. And I'm staring at this door. And finally, uh, one of my coworkers at the time, Matthew, said, Quam, what are you looking at? And he turned around and he goes, oh, shit. And he said, all of that happened in the last 10 minutes. We probably need to get the fuck out of here. And as soon as we closed out our tab, we kind of told a couple people working there. They agreed, we're just going to close the restaurant right now because this is going to get pretty gnarly. And this is still early in the polar vortex, basically, where... The stratosphere opens up, and it's the Arctic air just dropping straight on Duluth. So we drove back, and we're hanging out. And, like, I listened to the sound of two windows just cracking because they weren't built to take that cold of temperature. And then the next morning, we all went out to leave, and nobody's cars would start. And so we had to uh, bring extension cords out, and literally put uh, hair dryers on the engine block of our cars just to get it, like it felt to my hand like it was blowing cold air, but the air was at least 40 or 50 degrees warmer than the actual air. And I remember so, my parents had a block heater for their car that they literally would plug in and yeah. the, you'd plug it into the garage you, and you like honestly heat the engine. To. Yep. Uh, and, and now not so, you know. But back, I don't know. Back in the day. The 80s, yeah. right? Yeah, my parents had a plug-in block heater for their engine. You, you have to. And I, I just, I had never been, I, I've been through plenty of very cold times, and I've been through 
plenty of awful wind chills. I have never, in 43 years on this earth, I have never felt cold like that. It was absolutely mortifying to really realize the ruthlessness of what weather can be. And so that next day, when we finally got our car started after running the, the hair dryers for 45 minutes, uh, before I could leave town, we had some business to finish up. I just never turned my car off. That's the only time I've ever done that. Everywhere we went, we just pulled in and put the car in park and left it running, went in and talked to the people that we needed to talk to, and then got back in our cars and kept going. And the craziest part about it was the polar vortex, that border of it was about half an hour south of Duluth. So as I'm driving home, I have a digital thermometer reading on my dashboard. And it started at negative 25. And by the time I pulled into my driveway, it was 17. So basically, like, every 10 minutes, it was going up a degree. And it was wild feeling how differently my, my own car reacted to that. Like, I, I just haven't, I haven't been through anything that really made me that nervous about, like, this whole thing could just <laughs> collapse in on itself. It felt weirdly apocalyptic. So fucking Duluth, man. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, it was kind of funny that you were painting this, like, terrifying and, like, I don't know, chilling picture of ah. that experience. Um, and then I, I was, like, reminiscing in my mind, right, about, like, there's been times on a, fr like, being out on a frozen lake in northern Minnesota... 33 below and look you're not out for like a long time mm -hmm. but you're out for a while it's the clearest the sky will ever be absolutely it is the quietest yeah. Yeah. that it will ever be because no one is there you have to be insane to do it but when you have the right gear on and you're and you're feeling comfortable and and like it was a pastime that I definitely shared with, like, my brothers. I'm sure I've told you this story before, but, yeah. like, uh, <laughs> we were out with the dogs, and, like, it was, you know, it was more like a negative 20 situation. It wasn't quite like what you're talking about where literally it's the clock is ticking. But we were out uh, on, a, on a frozen lake running with the dogs, and we passed this, like, certain area that must have had, I don't know, heated water pumping through there or something like that. And I went through the ice, like literally up to my hips. Oof. And uh, I got out and the dogs like sort of pulled me back in because they're attached to me and they're heavy. And I jump out of the water and I look at my brother and he looks at me, you know, because everybody knows like if you go through the ice. And, mm -hmm. and I've got like gear on, right? So like it's still soaking my pants but not quite like right. chilling it's me. not like, to I, your skin i'm not gonna die right now but i jump out of the water we both look at each other because we know like it's a we're fucked what do we do and i just looked and i said we have to run <laughs> and like and, it, and it, the funny part is like if i would say that to my my brother uh at any point in time he would look at me like you're an idiot yeah but in this particular moment, he didn't miss a beat and just nodded at me, and then we took off running. Yep. And, like, we were probably a mile and a half from, like, a warm place if we were going, like, around the lake. Mm -hmm. But once you get off the lake and you hit the, the road, 
it's like six blocks. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you know, no one's dying, but certainly hypothermia is being considered. And then it's just a full-on sprint with two huskies <laughs> literally yanking my body. Because they are like, oh, we're running? Awesome. You know what I mean? But I've been waiting for this like, my whole life. I, yeah, and I'm like, I don't want this to happen, but I don't it's have like, another no. option right Hashtag now. Will Steger, motherfucker. No. Let's go. No. I did a run. No, I'm son. like Chip Steger, his asshole Chip. brother. Like, <laughs> Will no. Steger, like, moved the world and changed changed us all for the better. We, like, we know what sled dogging is because of Will Steger. Chip Steger pissed himself Chip, after too yeah. many Miller highlights. Chip Steger invented the cool cheese ball. <laughs> the planter's <laughs> cheese ball and gets pissed whenever anybody talks about Cheetos. Oh, Chips here. We hardly knew what you. A <laughs> what yeah. a kid. Wonder kid, I think, is what they call did, it. Did your boots get submerged or did it? The whole shebang. The, like, like, but did water go into said No. Boot? Okay, that's no. the key. No, I had uh, some gators on that prevented that from happening, which was yes, great. That's, that's the key. I got real lucky. Oh, fuck. That's yeah. awesome. But, yeah, also <laughs> insane. Like, oh, I just went through the ice. No big deal. I, all I, we all have I can, to run. Yep. We have to run. And, and I love, Sometimes you got to go fast. And I love just the silent acknowledgement from your brother. Like, yes, we should. He does not go. want me to die out right. there. He doesn't want to die out there. Mostly because he doesn't want to have there. to answer the questions. Yeah. He's not dragging me back if my legs turn into, like, frozen... Hot dogs, you know what I mean? Like, he's just gonna leave me and be like, "Oh, get help!" or hot towels or whatever. Like, all I can picture is that that AWOL Nation song run that he was used in all the videos where he, like it's a slow build and he just goes run and then the fucking hard techno uh-huh. hits. Yeah, that's what I picture is just with the the camera attached to you, so it's just moving with you as yeah. you're running. And the funny part is like I don't think dogs. that I would just or like both. yes run like that. I ran beautifully because that was like. Completely concentrated. Looking on like the T one thousand Terminator yeah, two. Like, like I'm not dying out here. Or, with, or yeah, with your waterlogged legs, I bet you look really <laughs> yeah. cool. The pants were like <laughs> that's the hundred percent truth. It's like the pants were like quilt lined <laughs> fucking like they were these quilt lined Wrangler jean pants that were like oh, perfect I'm, for the outdoors, yep. right? Like they just they did everything except like they will take on water, <laughs> they, and they, they fucking did. All the like, water. I, oh, I just jumped in the lake with jeans on. That's really my first thought was like, oh, we gotta fucking run because I'm wearing jeans. <laughs> then it just literally like it, it's like, <laughs> what were you doing? What? What went wrong in your hey, life? Do you have that this a, is the where worst you are. possible clothing to dampen. Yeah, yeah, you should go through that. You know what? Actually, do you have like a couple lead weights I could just throw yeah. in my pockets? Yeah, just, just we were gonna film a running video training. later, and we thought if you just like let's do a jeans. resistance training video yeah. with right. these dogs. Yeah, like nobody wears fucking jeans while they're jogging for a reason, <laughs> and they definitely don't wear wet fucking jeans when they're jogging. Hey, I and I wasn't jogging; I was running. I was like, no. I got to go. I did wear jeans to a stress test one time with a doctor for, like, heart conditioning. <laughs> and I was like, I thought you motherfuckers were going to be track bands. Like, no, nah, oh. dude. I was wearing cons I was like, jeans. Wait, hold on. Do you, do you want, like, the, the factory issue <laughs> running pants? Like, they don't even make gowns that I didn't, cinch up You guys don't have those county pants? I didn't think I would have to show up. I was wearing, dude. I just uh, thought you were trying okay, to win I wore the, the stress wrong. test. Like. 
Nobody's ever done a pair of jeans. I did win the straight test. I showed up and, dude, I was wearing cons. I was wearing cons and jeans. Got a belt buckle. And I ran hard as hell. And they were like, damn, you're a pretty good runner. And I'm like, yeah, I look like an asshole right now. And jeans and cons (laughs) doing a stress test. Cons and jeans is also for sure the name of our new fucking podcast. Cons and jeans and cons and jeans and cons and jeans and cons and jeans. Speaking of dogs. Mr. Quam. Yes, sir. Speaking of dogs, those motherfucking Foundry Nation CBD treats. Boom. I want to I speak on that. Shout this shit out because it has been a game changer in my house. Dude, absolutely. And we've touched on it before, but I want to go a little further in depth. The broad spectrum peanut butter flavored dog treats. It's a 30 count container from Foundry Nation. Yep. It's a 300 milligrams. My dog has had a lot of CBD treats. My dog's, he's a, he's a crazy guy. He's a wild and crazy dude. He's a and wild and crazy guy? He's a, he's a border healer. Yeah. He's a very energetic dog. Um, I met a dog last night. There was this crazy, like, 10-month-old dog, and his owner said, Does, do they ever calm down? And I said, well, buddy, <laughs> Yours you, got a, you got a Goldie, so he's going to calm down. He's a little frenetic right now. My dog, he's like, how old's your dog? I said, he's almost three. He's still crazy, and he's probably always going to be crazy. We try to get the energy out of him in whatever ways we can, but you need some cheat codes. Yep. And our thing that we've been doing for the three years of his existence is giving him those expensive CBD snacks mm-hmm. or like the tinctures or what have you that you find in your local specialty store, they're expensive and they work to varying effect. We have two wonderful sponsors on this podcast, mm-hmm. Foundry Nation and Balance, BLNCD. Yes, and we uh, have access to, I mean, we, you know, anyone listening to this has access to them, but we have access to their CBD treats. Or when we started with them as a sponsor, we got their their little tin of, of these peanut butter flavored CBD treats. And the first time I gave Bogey, my dog, one of the CBD treats, Quam was at my house. We were mm-hmm. watching a UFC in my living room with like five friends. Marnie was out of town. Bogey was just off the walls, <laughs> bouncing off the walls. Like, look at all this excitement. I love to fight. He was yelling, Punch him in the face. Yeah, well, he was like, I think finish him. I think that was, you know, the, the translation of his barks. I agree. His unending barks, even though he's facing outside, not the TV. And I was like, dude, this kid's got to chill out. And so I busted that pack open. That was the first time I busted the pack open, handed him one of those little crunchies. And that dude mellowed. Mm-hmm. He mellowed. And it was... The, the effect of it was different than any of the other CBDs I've ever given him. Agreed. Straight up, like, no bullshit being honest with you right now. It says, well, I give him, a, like, a half Z because it says, like, based on weight, give him a half. Give him, so I gave him a half of one of those suckers, and he, he chilled out. He didn't, like, it's not going to sedate your pet. What it did is it made him act like bogey when it's a weekday and I'm working and there aren't a bunch of people and he can just kind of be among us and be himself and people can pet him and he's still walking around the room. It's, uh, it's, it's absolutely a game changer. I know we hate that term on the show, but it was like giving him that and then giving him those 
treats now. If we have a break and, you know, we take them to doggy daycare, we take them a walks, he plays with the neighbor's dog. Sometimes life gets in the way. We're not able to accomplish those things. And you're like, damn, it's been 36 hours since he's had any real activity. And this is a fucking high function, high frequency doggy dog. Let me give him one of these bad boys. You give him that thing. And then it like, it, it cools his heels a little bit. Totally. And I, honestly, it's the same thing in my house. Uh, my dog, Millie, is a pity mix. She basically has zero hair on her undercarriage and she hates cold and really hates precipitation. Like she just shuts down when it's raining and I, I'm not going to force her to go on walks. Like I'll get her outside. So she goes to the bathroom, but it, if it's that miserable for her, I'm not trying to like drag her by her collar for blocks at a time. <clears throat> that said on those days when weather really does suck, she still has all that pent up energy just because she didn't go on a walk. Doesn't mean she understands that now she needs to chill. And that again, those, those CBD treats have absolutely helped shell her out when she has a little bit too much energy and can't go outside. It just, it just calms her down. And that's the thing for, for me, we've talked about it. Uh, you know, you've heard the ads in the beginning of the episodes, but again, just a reminder, if you go to foundry nation, Dot com. <clears throat> dot com and you type in uh, the code libations 20 you get 20% capital off. capital l yep. lowercase ibations a t i o n s 20 you get 20% off yep so if if any of you also it's a great deal way that's dude that's six dollars off and also all of the rest of your personal use gummies <laughs> and beverages. That's some big oh. gas savings. Right? That's six free units if you think about it because it's a 30-count box, $30. Boom. You're getting six free units if you type in our code, yeah. capital L, Libations20. And honestly, it it really is. It it There is a before and an after for when we got those treats, and it just, it just helps. Because all I want, like, I want her to also not feel super anxious and crazy and, and cooped up, and it does the same thing for her that it does for me, where, like, you know, a little CBD, a little THC, just chills me out a little just bit. Just a gummy for the whole family. Yeah. Gummy Goal Winner's Day. Yeah. You got to just yeah. relax. You know, we're playing Xbox, baby, lay down. <clears throat> Treats for the chill. fam. Yo. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to order some more when we get off. I think we have like a singular one left, yeah. which is dangerous, by the way. <clears throat> I need, to, I need sure. more. So, yeah, I'm going I'm to go on there and order some and use our own code. Yeah. Look at that. Let's go. Getting high on our own supply. On our own supply. <laughs> well, shit, uh, Charles, you want to you want to bring us into the station on this one? Yeah. And honestly, uh, Paul, thank you so much for, oh, for yeah. being here. I love the uh, the surprise <laughs> guest. Yeah. It's fucking perfect, man. Okay, so we've been toying around with the idea of taking the show on the road. We've been talking about it for a long time. Plans have been in motion, tentative or otherwise, for us to go elsewhere and to record in person with with people, you know. We can re- re- record remotely. We have we have the technology, and I think that it could be. It is. It has been faithful to the product. Yeah. The audio has not been perfect, but I think we can do it pretty much like the the people are in the room with us. But we want to have that experience where we go somewhere that our our potential guests call home. So what I would like to inquire with you about, yeah. Mr. Ben Quam and. Um, Mr. Hennessy, you can speak to this too as though you are coming with us. Yeah. You can fantasize about that. Uh, where would you like to go if we were to record in a remote location 
in the near future and something aspirational for who knows how long in the future, five, ten years? Like, where, we, where in your wildest imagination would you like to record someday that maybe doesn't seem like a prospect currently? In, my, in the near future, I really... The fact that you and I still have not been on a trip together is somewhat shocking to me, given the fact that we both love to travel, Charles. Sure. I would very much love for both of us to be in New York at the same time, because I think we've proven on this show that our experiences and our loves in New York are different. Mm -hmm. And I think it would be really fun to watch the confluence of those two come together. I think that would be very fun. I have people that I adore. You have people that you adore. And I think that all of those people would probably overlap with each other once we started to hang out. I think that would be really cool. And New York will always be a siren song to Plus me. Plus Dessa said she's coming with us. Right. I mean, we're going we're gonna to go hang out with grandmas with Dessa. I mean, period, end all, that's it. But on top of that, I would love to see our two worlds come together in a city like that that will forever feel a little bit like home to me. Uh, there is something about New York City that will always beckon to me. Uh, I went there for the first time when I was 14, and I still feel that way every time I go there. I'm just filled with like this weird amount of happiness and the, the anonymity that that city provides you in addition to having really wonderful humans that I love that live there mm. means that I can vacillate between the two. You're an extra on the world's biggest movie set. Correct. <laughs> and then also can be uh, like a star in, in a sitcom that I very much care about. Like it, it provides both of those things. So I would love that. On, on the aspirational side of things, yeah. going back to our question about episodes that we really love thinking about and thinking about like that episode with Yia that I talked about, I would really love at some point to be able to travel, whether it's within our country, our continent, or internationally, and actually have these discussions with marginalized indigenous people because uh, those are stories that by and large I am completely unfamiliar with my uh, my late little brother was a teacher on the Red Lake Reservation in in northern Minnesota and one of the things that I absolutely it like painfully miss was were the stories that he would tell me because of course as a teacher, you're going to tell some, some hilarious stories about nightmare kids. But at the end of the day, the reason that he stayed a teacher, and I, I would assume that, Charles, your partner Marnie is similar in this, the reason you stay a teacher is because of the, the wins, the successes. Absolutely. And hearing some of the stories of some of these kids and their family backgrounds and, and what they're trying to do in their own community and then also in the country at large those stories are missed so much. And I think that if we were able to travel to some of those communities and have sit downs like this, I think we would probably end up having a lot of belly laughs and a lot of really serious conversations at the same time. And I hope that this platform continues to grow for us so that we are able to, to do that going forward. And whether that's whether that's our own indigenous people here in Minnesota, whether that's the, the Sami people in northern Norway, Sweden, and Finland, 
whether that's uh, Aboriginal people in New Zealand and Australia, like wherever we go, I would just love to be able to have those conversations too. Because I think that there's so much more that I need to learn and there are so many more things that I haven't even been exposed to that I think could not only help me grow, but also help you know our, our listeners grow with us. Uh, what we've figured out so far to me, not speaking for Charles or, or for Paul, what I think we've figured out through this show is the beauty of humanity is that we are so similar when you strip everything else away. And the thing that makes me so happy is that we keep bringing more people into this tent of we're all just humans trying to figure out what the fuck this existence is. And the more voices that we have in that conversation, the stronger this community feels. And I mean, as community, I mean all of us that are a part of the show, that are guests of the show, that are listeners, and then the community as a whole by large. Like, like we're all humans stuck on a spinning rock in the middle of fucking bleak absence. If we can find some collective ways to understand each other and find some bridges that we can cross together, how, how is that not good how is that not what we should be going for Mm -hmm. that's what i'm hoping for so as an aspirational end i want to get out of cities and get into smaller communities and talk to people like that i I like it that's interesting uh hennessy why don't we frame why don't we frame this like if you can and you know you have somewhere you have someone in the room that you've done a lot of traveling with and someone in the room you've done zero traveling with Let's look at it this way. If you could travel somewhere with us, never mind this dumb fucking production. If you could travel somewhere with us that is a realistic goal that we could do sometime in the near future and also a super unrealistic goal that we could potentially do someday and we all kind of just like ate and drank our way through a, a city, where would that? Where would those cities be? Ooh. Ooh. Killer. So I... <laughs> I love where this is headed because Ben, you just laid out travel and life in this like existential space journey. And I think about like, you know, when Charles initially brought the question, I was like, I don't think there's like a certain place, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't be like, oh, it's LA or oh, it's Milwaukee, LA. (laughs) Uh, It's Charles is going to write the script and Ben's going to bring the soundtrack (laughs) and I'm going to hop on to the guardians of the galaxy (laughs) as like the stick guy or or maybe the knifey tattoo weird guy. I am Paul. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not on this thing or maybe I'm just like the mantis guy. It's like whatever, which I think the mantis one's a lady, but like, it doesn't matter. I can Batista's do, leaving the series. I so. can do a lady, you guys, just fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he just said I can I, do a lady. Yeah, I, I can play. That's I can the be. I, uh, yeah, there's there's a woman living in here as well. Um, I just think that like the journey is already laid out. Like I, I've and okay, I this is not a plug. I've listened to a reasonable amount of episodes of the show. Mm-hmm. Because I like your guests. Gen- generally, I enjoy your guests. And I'm always so curious about what they have to say mm-hmm. and, like, you know, where, where their brain is living. So it's like I know the journey's laid out, right? 
So I can go anywhere. I'd love to go to like a tiny divey cable Wisconsin yes. accident situation where yes. it's like we're doing the Birkebiner. Like I definitely want to do like that would I would do that. And it would be great. And it would, you know, I'm sure the Canadian accents would come out and we'd, you know, it would get out of control a little bit. But like whoops, sorry. Yeah, whoop. Strap on the pads and the blades, eh? Like all the good stuff. All the hits. But yeah, yeah, we gotta play the hits. Just the hits. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta play taking it to the streets. Duh. You gotta play it. Taking it to uh, the streets. It seems like that would be on a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Of course. But I also think like I enjoy exploring things that I'm not familiar with, right? Mm. So like I would be super interested in going to either a big city with a lot, like even if it, when we say big city, I include Chicago, even though like Chicago seems very familiar to me, sure. very Minneapolis to me. Um, but just like a place with lots of options or a place with like no fucking options because that group mm. is just going to like provide, you know, mm. Charles is going to have all this data and research and information and like, we've got to do this. And Ben's going to be like, I know 33 people that live here. I'm like, there are only 38 people that live here. But, like, you know 33 of them. Trust me. Like, Trust me. Yeah. And it's always like, well, I stopped at a Bennigan's once at a band yeah. competition. You're like, what the? F-? But that's how you roll. Yeah. You know? And that's, <laughs> I love that, you know? You're not wrong. But yeah. Not so, wrong. so I think, like, the, the dynamic is already set. And it's just like. Where's the stage? Point me to it. I'm Let's ready go. to participate. Yeah, yeah. that's so what's up. That's my answer to your question. What about you, Charles? Near future? Chicago. 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 Windy Chicago town. I almost said that just to snipe you because I felt like you were going to go that way and I never get to snipe you. you listen snipe listen me. here, motherfucker. You can't snipe me because I, th- I was thinking either Chicago or New York. All so right. Unless you gave me the qualm daily double. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, yeah, there's never a single answer. There's always multiple. Uh, yeah, because either of those answers is, it feels like equally lucrative to me. The idea of doing the New York thing with Dessa treating it like an episode of, um, oh, man, I can't think of the show. Um, ah, I, <laughs> on YouTube, the show where they go around town in a van and get hammered and eat everywhere. Three Sheets? No. Bang Bus. What's that? <laughs> Bang Bus, for Bang sure. Bus. Yeah. Uh, God damn it. What's it's a different kind of hammered. <laughs> <that show>. Oh, <laughs> man, I can't think of it right now. And um, Chef Eric Anderson was talking about his episode when he was on here. And I love the show, but I'm in the no-brain zone because of all the alcohol. But anyways... If we did Chicago, it would be a similar vibe, but I know more people personally in Chicago that are associated or peripherally associated with the dining scene. New York, I think, would be this like beautiful new mystery for us where we love things there, but I don't think either of us knows a lot of people in the food and beverage scene there personally, and we would be able to like make discoveries. Mm-hmm. Chicago, I know people and can make instant connections for us that for me as the like near vision, that's the one that I know like if we went to Chicago tomorrow, we would have ample opportunity to fill our slate with potential 
episode opportunities. And I know also that that is perhaps the most realistic opportunity for us among the many opportunities displayed before us regarding going to uh, an attractive area to do some off-site recordings. Mm -hmm. So Chicago for sure is like the near vision. The more distant, hazier vision, and partly because this is a little bit, you gotta gotta almost like imagine how this is even possible to do. Man, I would love to go to Tokyo or Kyoto and have the types of conversations that we like to have with people that view life differently than we mm-hmm. we do in some ways, but similarly to us in some ways, perhaps even like a strand of DNA. Like we believe a lot of the same things, but we live such different lives. Language is a barrier when it comes to that. And I think the way I look at it is that it's not necessarily like, can we find people that also speak English, but would there be a way someday for us to have a translator and us to succinctly edit an episode so that we get a version of the conversation that is listenable, but we're able to communicate <laughs> with people. And it doesn't even have to be Japan, but somewhere where we can have con- the types of conversations that we have that I think are important conversations and thoughtful and interesting and funny with people that we can connect with despite our language differences, Mm -hmm. you know, as Mm -hmm. one of the people in the room, the person that speaks both languages and we can connect with like Mm -hmm. some really fucking cool yakitori chef in Kyoto. And we're able to have this beautiful conversation that we can extol to our listeners. So a location like that to me would be, an absolute dream. So I'm treating it like a dream deferred, right? Like, wow, how could we make that happen? I have no idea. I don't have the answer. I really don't. But the clear vision would be we can do Chicago tomorrow. Of course. The distant vision is how could we do Tokyo or Kyoto or Nagano or what have you? How could we do that? But can we figure that out? Can we figure that out sometime in the next... Three, five, seven, ten years, perhaps. Wouldn't it be? I mean, I'll tell you, incredible? we're gonna figure it out after I get to go to Lebanon with you, because I'm. I understand that everybody tells you that they want to go to Lebanon with you, and then they never go. But I am hell fucking bent on making this happen, because I need to make that happen. So I will say that I will do everything in my power to make Japan happen after we make Lebanon happen. Oh, you guys could do a show in Lebanon easy, couple. Right. We, could do, we could do a lot of shows in Lebanon. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty sweet. Telling you, yeah, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I like the fact that the again going back to your first question about <clears throat> does money buy happiness, and we both sort of answered no, but it gives you opportunity. <clears throat> I I think that we're at a point, and we're going to continue to grow into points where that becomes more and more realistic. And I just never want to stop. As we've talked about myriad times on the show, I'm in everything for the adventure. I'm in everything for the story. Paul, you know this as we have, <laughs> we're two decades into hanging out. I, <clears throat> I really truly believe that the value that I get the most out of life from is 
the experiences with strangers that turn into friends. And the more that I can invest in that, the happier that my life is and the more fulfilled I feel. And I think that we can absolutely make that a part of what we're doing. You know, we can continue to search for great food. We can continue to search for great spirits. We can continue to search for things that we've never had before. But the glue that binds it all together is the humanity of what we find on this show. And it's the thing that I'm the most thankful for, honestly. Like, it floors me that we get to have these incredible conversations. Like, I, I, I love the fact that Paul and I had uh, late night dinner plans tonight and he ended up getting off work early and I could bring you by because just having you in the room, it, it adds something to it. And Charles, you and I getting to have conversations like this to start this episode, like that's, it, it, that's the cheat code for my happiness in life is to have time to actually sit and talk instead of <clears throat> talking casually here and there, texting each other while also responding to emails and Slack channels blowing up and texts blowing up. Like to get to sit and devote your entire attention to a conversation with somebody you may know yeah. or you may not know. Well, I mean, <clears throat> we're a perfect example of the fact that we don't really connect until we're in the same room together. Correct. You know, I mean, we do a little bit, but a lot of times, you know, you never know, you never know where the other person's at in their day or their life when you're trying to connect with them, unless you agree to be in the same space with them. Correct. And I think it's also important to state that food is only sustenance without the human element. That's when it. Man. Food is literally future poop unless there's something there that is being provided to you by another human being in your connection to that person or persons. Well, and that's and the, the persons that you're with that provide yeah. something that amplifies you take, you take what can be like a great meal and turn it into the meal of your life. Like what we were talking about French laundry or anywhere like that. You take something that is, is, uh, exceptional on you know your your sense of smell mm -hmm. your sense of vision your sense of taste but then you add the element of experience and the element of experience is almost wholly human yep Just having the interaction with others to amplify that the 2x multiplier the 5x multiplier you take a great meal and turn it into Again, Legendary. super saiyan. Like oh. you take it from being like a 10 out of 10 plate mm. is limited to that unless you have the human experience to amplify it two, five, 10 times. Then you have an infinite level of, of possibility. A life-changing dish. And honestly, like Paul, that's your hospitality lives. Hashtag. I mean, I was that's literally like hanging there going, my best meals are are around a table of like really great friends in the service industry or like family. My best meals aren't at a restaurant. And, it, and it's not to say that like I haven't gone to a restaurant and then had an experience that was like, oh, that's what Michelin is. And oh, that's what like excellence is. And oh, that's the most incredible thing that I, I didn't even imagine that when I walked in and when I walked out, I was changed. 
like what you were talking about with like going to Noma for vegetable season. Making meat hot is a skill, but it's only one of the skills Correct. in this giant encyclopedia of cooking. Going to a restaurant and seeing what someone can do with a cucumber and seeing what someone can do with a carrot is always going to blow my mind more than someone being able to be like, I made this beef correctly temperatured or <laughs> textured. That is amazing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a, like... It's satisfying, <clears throat> but it's like a satisfaction you know. The, the, right? the real satisfaction comes from, like, sharing. Like, you see uh, in, in the wine part of my world, I see people posting bottles all the time, like pictures of bottles and pictures of, you know, not the people they're sitting with. Yeah. Not sure, sure. Yep. how many people got to experience this. Like, let's go loaves and fishes on this idea if we're going to open yes. up an epic bottle of wine. Yes. If we're that into it, right? Like, fill the amphitheater and let's dump it around. Because that's what that bottle was yeah. intended for when they made it. Right? That winemaker... How many times have you tasted something and wish you locked eyes with someone when you tasted it? The number of things that I've tasted and wished that someone else was present to taste it. Yeah. And feeling like, not guilty that I got to taste it, but like feeling nostalgic and sentimental because I know that that person's like with me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, And believe me, when you talk to those great, like when you talk about Lebanon and your uncle and, uh, it's like that to me connects so much deeper than just taking a shot of an anise flavored liqueur. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's like real, many layered, right? So deep. And the same thing, you know, when you're talking about uh, beer being made in a specific way, and it's just the connection to where it comes from, who makes it. And then knowing that they made that with the intention of sharing it with either their entire family, which several people hold on to vintages of wine and spirits and things like that, just to share with their own family. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, their extended family of people that they love. And it's like, we need to be thinking, like, money doesn't buy happiness. Financial literacy buys happiness, right? Because now you can, like, understand how it all works i don't want to like chase money i want to chase that feeling of opening a bottle with you two and then opening a bottle with you two plus five more that we all love to hang around right like that's the thing i want to chase you tilt your head the, you both tilt your head the same way and you yeah. lock eyes it's like oh, the, man it's it's interesting to consider that that sharing words and l- like laughing at the same joke Laughing at the same joke with your friend, but also is is commensurate, I think, to taking a sip of wine that you both, it's the same joke, in effect, mm-hmm. or the same comment. It entered a different faculty. It entered your lips. Absolutely. And you can lock eyes and you can go, oh, shit. Oh. You get it, too. And tilt your head <laughs> and you go, oh, man, that's a, that's like, Sharing laughter, huh? right? You don't even need to speak the same language. It, yeah, that's it. Conversation. <clears throat> that's it. All, right? That's connection. You know, literally, I've never, I've never thought about this until you framed it like that, Paul. But if you had to press me for all the ridiculous wine that I've been able to imbibe, half of it 
is because of my friendship with you of like ridiculous, insane bottles. If both of you, Charles and Paul, if you guys pressed me on what's the most memorable sip of wine that I've ever had. Yeah. It was my 21st birthday. I turned 21 at midnight. There was a band in the 90s called The Refreshments that I was in love with. They broke up. The lead singer and the drummer started a new band. They put out a record and they were on tour. They were playing the 400 Club, RIP, one of my favorite music venues on earth that was in, uh, uh, well, just east of downtown Minneapolis. This is your power hour. Literally, I called to ask. Which is that legal anymore? I don't even, I don't think so. There's no way it's legal. All is no. power hours oh, legal? No way. That cannot be a thing, right? No. I don't think so. You can do 21 shots right. in one hour. Let's go. No, but like I, when you turn 21 at midnight that you're going to have, you yeah. be served a drink. I'm but almost, they called it power I'm hour. I'm almost positive that they will not. Let, I mean, I, don't I, think I you guarantee can you there are certain spots in this. I have this not run a bar that would where it's possible. That. Right like, here, like, I don't. If think we it go is. up to Hibbing right now, we're getting in. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? like, yeah, fair. Grab fair. all your twenty-year-olds, put them in the trunk or however you do that, and then get in the, in the bed in the of the truck. But like it's the bed of the truck, trunk, sure. yeah. the truck, right? And then get them up to Hibbing. Yep. And you're getting in, right? Let's go. Like you're going to Chainsaw <laughs> Sisters for twenty-one shots of twenty-one for four minutes. Yeah, let's do this. You will vomit. I'll tell you that. Like, the McAdams a, Canadian whiskey yeah. will flow. Yep. Get ready to puke. Someone's going to put so, Tabasco sauce <laughs> right. in your shit. So yeah. this Here's concert, shot. My, my birthday is August 15th. This concert is August 14th. Mm. This band that I love, and of course, like the lead singer was the person that I identified with. I've never seen them. Their old band broke up. I just desperately want to see this guy perform. Again, going on, like not on the list because I wasn't, I hadn't made it yet, but would have been on like, I need to see this human. So I call 400 bar and I'm like, I turned 21 at midnight. Is there any way that I can put like X's on my hands or something so I can just go to the show? I, pr I won't even drink after midnight. I just want to see this band. They're like, absolutely not. 21 plus. Okay, cool. So again, because I'm old and gross, uh, this was back in like the AOL GeoCities era. So uh, I sent an email to the webmaster, which was the, the link that they, all the terrible websites used to have. Where are all the webmasters now? Uh, apparently. Where are those guys? They're there? all on eight. There's an old folks home. Where it's all have just all the webmasters web gone? Yeah. Mom, I'm a webmaster. I'm going to guarantee you they're all doing very shameful I things. I told you I was good. I went to Coon. school. To, Johnny went to school to be oh, a webmaster. I'm working. He's a good boy. So, I'm mastering the web. So I sent this email, and I was like, I, I listen, here's the deal. I turned 21 at midnight. I really want to go to the show. The club won't let me in. Is there anything that I could do? And I got an email two days later from the lead singer saying, meet me at the back door at 3.30 that day. And they brought me on. I was the official merch guy for the show. So they snuck me in with everybody, and then they're like, we're going to close the merch when the band starts so you can watch the show. Well, that's nice. And then afterwards, we'll <laughs> open it back up. So I watch the show. It's fucking amazing. I'm now 21 years old. I go back, and I reopen the merch thing. And again, these guys are trusting me with their entire cash. Like, their, their whole world is in this cash box. Like, I have the only thousands of dollars that they have. This is a small band 
playing to 150 to 200 people. So merch sales literally is your hotel money, your gas money, and your food money till the next concert. And they're just trusting some random fucking 20 turning 21-year-old idiot. So as I reopen it, this very lovely woman walks up to me and she said, you're the birthday kid, right? I said, yeah. She goes, all right, the boys want to see you downstairs, which is the green room was underneath the stage at this, this club. And I was like, well, no, I have to do the merch thing. And she just laughs and she goes, no, just, just go. So I go downstairs and it's the whole band, their friends that live in the Midwest that all came for the show and me. And they bust open a one gallon jug of Carlo Rossi. If I remember right, the chillable red. Oh, yes. I like where this is going. (laughs) I forgot we were doing sip of wine. uh, Yeah, and they crack it. Hubba hubba, mama in trouble. Now, just for everybody out there that never (laughs) never had the wonderful opportunity of being in the green room (laughs) at the 400 bar, it's a dirt floor. It's literally the dirt underneath the, the venue. Like, there's no floorboards. There's no... They have, it's not a, green. Is they what have you're a couple saying. rugs, but it's just dirt yeah. down there. And uh, Roger holds it up and tells everybody that they have to yell happy birthday at me and that no one is allowed to leave until this fucking gallon of wine is gone. And I know post COVID that this is going to make a lot of people cringe, but that bottle was not allowed to be set down. That gallon. Oh, yeah. No, that's just got, just got passed around yep. the entire time. Yeah. That had nothing to do with the quality of the wine in the bottle. Mm -hmm. But that is a a memory that I will treasure for the rest of my life because these random humans who had no reason to interact with me chose to create a fan for the rest of my life with a little bit of kindness and a little bit of hospitality and $8 on a gallon of wine. And we drank the fuck out of that and we had the greatest time. And to this day, not only am I still a fan, but I am, am still in contact with Roger. And every time they're in town, I try to make sure that we hook up and hang out. Who's the band? You already said the name of the... Roger person. Klein and the Peacemakers is the current okay. iteration All right, sure. of that band. Yeah. Uh, very uh, southwestern Arizona slash border of Mexico-esque music. Mm. Lots of yeah. good... Desert music is a great. To me, that's what it sounds like when you I know drive. How you're always like listening to music when you're in the desert. <laughs> you're just like, like this is good desert music. Play me that desert music. Good desert. Yeah. Music. As somebody who is, it's like a rattlesnake tail, isn't it? <laughs> it starts starts with them snakes, yep. ends with the shakes. No, I always, I always <laughs> feel like. Uh, so I, I had family that lived in in Phoenix for a while, and I, I would love to go visit and then just drive out into the middle of nowhere because there is no desolation that I have found in my life that is more sparse than like Western Arizona going into California or that trip going North. Once you get North of Flagstaff and you're by the Grand Canyon, there's just nothing like I drove for two hours and didn't see another car. And all I kept thinking about was the people that, did this on horseback and only had the water that they, they could back with them. Like that's a fucking gamble. And there's something about the music that they make that sounds like that vision to me. And it's probably because of Hollywood movies and everything else, but their, their music sounds like the desert to me. It just sounds difficult and thirsty. 
It sounds longing. <laughs> I don't know if that, I, I like, honestly, I've never actually had to quantify this any further. Difficult. Thirsty on Spotify. Difficult. Mm-hmm. Thirsty. Listening to my difficult thirsty playlist, mm-hmm. it's mostly yeah. desert music. It's mostly. Yeah. You wouldn't get it. Yep. You wouldn't there, get it. But you might. There's, there's like Try a. It. <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> there's like a there's a there's a, a a longing for connection. There's a loneliness. Oh no, that yeah, I totally desert, you know. Yeah, and I like I feel it in like the Boundary Waters too, but it's different because everything's so lush. In the desert, there's literally nothing, and so the longing for connection is a connection to anything. Yeah, to me, I guess that's what I mean. Your for your port in the storm. Yeah. Uh, question like kind of opens that up for me. It's like there is connection and disconnection, right? Yep. It's it's uh maybe I don't need a safe place in the storm. I just need to get through the storm mm-hmm. or I have to like survive the storm. Mm-hmm. You know, like rather than be protected. Mm-hmm. It's just Well and if Or if, just to like be isolated, right? Just to yeah. be alone. And if if Charles is the agenda and I'm the soundtrack, it's the fact that I'm on a journey and I don't know where I'm headed, but I know that this is what I want to listen to. Like for anybody out there listening, there's a song called I Don't Want to Know. I'm the shirt, but you're the derp. There you go. <laughs> derp. There's a Oh yes. There's like there's an aching guitar solo in that song, I Don't Wanna Know. That the only thing it sounds like to me is a rainstorm in the desert. And I've never been able to quantify that. It has nothing to do with like how the song is is pictured. There's the, it just sounds like that to me. And I don't know. Maybe I'm now that I'm saying this out loud. I'm probably the weirdo. But I, I think about what songs sound like to me sometimes. Of like where I picture myself or what environment I picture myself. Like as in you're in the music video or like, like no. If I'm listening to it and I have my eyes closed, like yeah. Where, what would be the perfect scenario for me to listen to this? Oh, like soundtrack wise. Yeah, like right? literally, it's it's me imagining this as my soundtrack. Yeah. Which again, if you've listened to this podcast, surprising no one, I think about a lot. That there, there's something about that 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 just hits for me. But we have wildly digressed, which I couldn't love more. Mm. <laughs> so we should probably pull this back into the station. Skirt. Uh, Scarp, scarp. Uh, Paul, I love you so much for coming by, and I love you so much for being here. And I love even more that we're about to go get some dinner. So kind of you to have me. Uh, Charles, is there anything that you want to plug coming up? Man, I don't know. We're about to get in the upswing here in the Twin Cities. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I, yeah, I'm going to give my classic answer of nothing, but go to foundrynation.com. Yeah. Use that code. Libations 20, capital L. Woo. Get that shit. I, uh, I'm really, really excited. We, we led the episode with this, and I, I just want to close with it. We have some really, really amazing guests. Like, 2023 has already been absolutely stunning to me for who we've been able to sit down and, and talk to. We got a dummy good schedule. Coming. And what's, what's coming up is even better. And I, I'm just, I'm so excited. So thank you to all of you who are with us on this journey. I hope you guys continue to laugh along, cheer, drink, whatever you're doing with us. I just hope you're happy out there. Yes. And uh, hell, we'll see you real soon. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye.